Well, hello and welcome to another session of the Corona Committee entitled An Inconvenient Truth, which, however, has nothing to do with climate change because it is a well-known uh, wording used by Al Gore at the time uh, to speak about um, the climate and climate change. Um, it has more to do with political climate and with change. We are uh, showing you a recorded um, discussion um, other than what we usually do. Um, we couldn't do this live um, starting now for um, coordination. Uh, we had coordination issues, uh, everybody wouldn't have been available now, but we did uh, simply record a, a live discussion, so it's like as if it were live. You can see, uh, still see the remnants from the discussion. We just had a discussion with uh, Justus Hoffmann and um, uh, Adriane Fischer. They established the Corona Committee together with Rainer Fimich and myself. We had Wolfgang Wodak here. And we um, wanted to let you know um, these things that we discussed. Now I think it's quite enlightening and um, interesting. So I'll just uh, give the floor to the team so they can replay the recorded discussion. And then after that, we will start with the normal uh, session, um, interviewing more people like we normally do. What we will see now is about two hours long. And I think that a lot of questions will arise. And for next week, we will give you the possibility, or over the next few days, we'll give you the possibility of asking questions concerning all these issues. But I hope that the things that you will see now will also answer a lot of questions that have arisen over the last few weeks. So I hope that you will be um, interested in listening to this and that um, you will see, get some enlightenment of some uh, questionable issues. Hello, and welcome to an internal session of the committee. Today, we are nearly in the old team here, and uh, we want to clarify a couple of things that have been moving around the net and elsewhere. There's lots of things that need to be clarified, and uh, Maybe we have to sketch out a more detailed picture and sketch out the developments to understand what went on. We had established the committee in summer 2020 when we were facing the question of what's going on in Germany and worldwide measures were taken that had lots of legal implications the masks and the vaccine mandates and so on, and many other things. And at the time we came together in order to follow up the question on the danger of the virus 
and uh, go down into the details of that and maybe we can comment briefly on how the session, how the committee was founded. Um, many may know, but some won't, so I'll just uh, tell you about it. I had started a petition asking for a baseline study asking for clean corona data and we wanted to know i wanted to know what is the risk what is really spreading throughout germany here and from that petition which was signed by many people for me um, contacts were established to scientists lawyers and others amongst others to dr wolfgang vodak who will be with us later on and Sometime down the line, I got a call from Rainer, Rainer Füllmich. At the time, I didn't know him, and he had got my contact from Wolfgang because he was looking for lawyers who were willing to stand up against all these measures in Germany and so on. And he called me because in May 2020, I think it was, uh, when... Uh, he asked us to do a symposium and uh, I said, Reinhard, this is too much of a topic. It's uh, nothing that we can do at brief notice. We need uh, an investigative committee for that. And uh, maybe we'll come back on that in a minute. And then it was clear that we wanted to do this. He, Reinhard also contacted me with through another lawyer who might known, uh, who had informed me that Rainer would be engaged and you should get to know him. I should get to know him. So it's two recommendations, so to say, four contacts. And th I thought that could be interesting. And then we wanted to work together with two more people, Professor Humburg and Professor uh, Hockertz, who um, <clears throat> turned it down for reasons other than Professor Homburg is now presenting, um, we decided to join up with two more lawyers, which we much more liked. And um, with that, we established the committee, Antonia Fischer, who has the same name as me, but none of my family, and Justus Hoffmann. And so we came together wondering or questioning about the conditions and the terms we would do this. Ian, the initial idea was that it would take 10 days or two weeks and um, all the extensions that it would take. We couldn't think of that at the time, the commitment and engagement that it would need and how to share the work and how to set up with that. And at the time, we said that we want to do it in this way that nobody would get money for what they do, at least out of the four of us, nobody. And of course, we don't want to excessively pay any service providers or anybody else involved. Um, and of course, we had to bind the capital of what came in that it was this was to be used with the work or for the work exclusively and should not dwindle away with any one of us. <clears throat> That was how we started, and I really have to say for us, or for me, it was a surprising success. I think we we really 
on top of the ball at the time because people wanted to, to have a close and detailed and intensive look into these things, not just a brief YouTube video with a couple of charts, but really questioning and scrutinizing of what was going on. And uh, we became internationally quite quickly looking at Bergamo, uh, finding that the situation was the same. And we wondered why was that uh, same picture to be seen everywhere and the same decisions and wrong decisions as we thought at the time um, or a false alarm as was given by the paper of Stefan Kuhn at the time. That is how we set sails, so to say. And I think we did good work content-wise over the past two years and I really do think that Rainer deserves a lot of honor for this because he asked good questions and he communicated very well with the people and he brought out the findings that we had and I really think it is very good. The problems that have developed over the recent past, um, although it may look different from the outside, is not a personal issue at all. There are hard facts which uh, do emerge to be problematic. And maybe I can hand over to you two now. Well, how did we get involved? That might be interesting as well, because we were basically recruited by uh, Rainer. I think he called you? Yes, I had a client. Yeah, and um, he said, Viviana Fischer, she has a great idea, a committee, etc., etc. And we said, okay, well, um, we can meet, um, take a look at it. Um, so we did meet and we figured, okay, um, the chemistry between us was all right. We uh, like each other. We thought that something needs to be done there. And at uh, that point, we uh, couldn't really expect um, how, well, both how the um, committee would develop and um, how we would be um, um, homed in on by um, the state. Um, so um, this is the way we got together. We have known Rainer since about 2015, and I have to say personally, even if he, as we learned now, uh, obviously always uh, somewhat differently, we uh, really had a um, good business friendship. He was always a good colleague. We were always friendly with each other. And we, not only uh, at Transparency International, we were active, but also with other projects that we started, we cooperated very well. We did a lot of things that were very good, um, I believe. And I know um, what kind of accusations we can expect now um, that we uh, are on a personal vendetta or something against um, individuals. Um, I don't see how you could arrive at that conclusion. There were um, unfortunate developments, let me put it this way, that could have been avoided, but I think we'll get back to that later on. 
They're always smarter with the benefit of hindsight. And it's obviously part of uh, the nature of um, the issues we're dealing with here. And we could see it uh, with our first committee meeting. None of us are um, media experts, journalists, uh, TV anchors or um, actors. We're all lawyers. We can present ourselves very well in court. We can argue. But communicating according to procedural uh, rules in court is different from what we do here. And um, there were, of course, um, teething problems at the beginning. Um, things didn't work very well. Technically uh, speaking, sometimes we couldn't uh, uh, get uh, guests online. Um, we didn't have a translation at the time, and that wasn't helpful. And uh, maybe um, we express things awkwardly at times and then all of a sudden we thought oh, you, this could be misconstrued now but that was part of the charm really at the beginning that was our thing it was live uh, untrained uncut live and it was the uh, counter um, part that we wanted to establish compared to the others we didn't have a political advisor coming in and telling us you can't put it this way or giving us a political agenda or something no uh, we um, wanted to um, give people um, information so they can form their own idea um, and if uh, people felt like what kind of idiots are these uh, fine and if uh, people thought okay um, that makes sense what they say fine as well so we just wanted to say what we think we didn't want to present ourselves in a way to uh, lead people to have a certain perception of us and we're better or greater than others no uh, and i that's the way we approach this and I, I don't want to denigrate it at this stage no on the contrary that's our approach and we still stand by it and i'm not betraying my former self if i say oh that was all uh, stupid no it was good as it was um, it was a very natural natural thing and uh, we didn't have big time planning in the background um, thinking like oh we'll do this that and the other today so the people will think certain things about us no we wanted people uh, to understand what we're saying um, both those who are um, uh, favorable um, have a favorable attitude towards us and those who have an unfavorable attitude as well that they can see okay that's what happened here now uh, this the whole thing uh, developed into a dimension that nobody had anticipated that's a different story though but I, I think that's a very important aspect and let me address the real elephant in the room Antonio myself are back the question now is, of course, where have we been? And this question has been asked again and again. We um, followed this, of course. And that is part of why we are here now to talk about this, uh, to give our perspective of developments over the last two years, particularly about the uh, developments of the last year or the last few weeks against the background of the uh, topic of the committee and uh, of what we were 
trying to achieve, i.e. transparency and truth, these beautiful things that we always said we want to be do better than the others. The others, in inverted commas, um, better than those where we say they're not um, playing on a, a level playing field. They have to fall back on propaganda and other things. This is uh, not right in a state of law. This is um, undignified in a state of law. And this is um, maybe that is why we are here. We want to really ensure that for the committee as well because transparency also involves self-criticism and truth also means that you have to uh, speak about un, um, inconvenient truths as well. And I can uh, speak on behalf of Antonia as well. It doesn't make sense for me to say everything and then uh, Antonia um, follows suit and, and says the same thing again. We discussed it ahead of time, of course, what we were going to say, what we want to say here, what message we uh, should uh, deliver and uh, due to this um, desire for transparency and truth um, we found it easy to come here um, but we also knew that it was a very important decision to make a serious decision i'm saying that right now because of course we have to expect all sorts of criticism now of all sorts of uh, kinds um, that we should be here, uh, why we're here, why we uh, are getting involved at this point. The decision was easy because we uh, know that with our presence in the committee today and what, uh, with what we are going to discuss today, we can actually only lose. That's why it's a serious uh, decision. What do I mean uh, by this? Well, we uh, expose ourselves to people who are willing to attack us. We are walking into the crossfire of people who would like to damage us publicly, who would like to attack us publicly. And we'd like to say uh, here that none of us, um, neither Antonia nor myself, Viviana, of course, as well, but I'm only speaking on behalf of the two of us now, who weren't involved here, have any sinister motive of um, denigrating anyone, um, slurring anyone, or whatever. If we um, had wanted life to be easy for us, then we just wouldn't have come. We would have said, okay, do your own thing, do what you want. Uh, let's not um, um, get involved here. We uh, want to be at peace. But uh, we are, of course, um, involved uh, under corporate law, of course, and um, by co-establishing uh, this committee and uh, showing our faces here, um, we created hopes in people that there will be a, a counter um, narrative here, that people would have a voice who are uh, being silenced by uh, other media. And so we have assumed um, a certain level of responsibility. And I always try to live up to all the responsibility that I have um, and as far as I can in my sphere of influence. And that means that you also um, stand by inconvenient truths and make yourself a target for um, whatever attacks come your way are leveled at you. And that's why I wanted to say, whoever watches this now um, and listens to uh, things being uh, told about the committee in other locations, they can then 
listen to us and uh, form their own, opin own opinion. But none of, the, uh, of us um, have any reason to be here today because we can't gain uh, from it other than our uh, feeling committed to truth and transparency. What do I mean by this now in concrete terms? Well, at some stage we um, learned about uh, the issues here as well. Viviano, for instance, after a long time of uh, not having anything to do with each other, she contacted us, uh, giving us her perspective of what had happened. Um, involving um, or including the um, financial situation of the committee and where uh, what monies went. Now, let me just get back to um, the um, uh, association that was created in the summer of 2020. It's a, a, a GmbH, so a limited company that is an entrepreneurial company that was created with four members, um, the three of us at the table here, plus Rainer Fülmich, with a, a charitable purpose. So uh, we created this uh, association like uh, you would know it from, you would expect it from a, um, a sports club. So you just uh, choose this uh, legal form because it is easier to handle, particularly uh, for a project of the scale um, we're talking about. It wouldn't have been advisable to have a different uh, approach. And of course, we wanted to have a limitation of our liability and we'd, uh, we needed um, a vessel where we could pool the donations that we could collect because the idea originally was to collect donations only until we can establish a, a foundation. We can often hear uh, the accusation uh, that we never planned to establish a foundation, that it's still a, a GmbH and that it's only um, for profits. Well, you can uh, create a limited company or any um, corporation uh, for uh, charitable purposes only uh, for non-profit purposes. Uh, that has nothing to do really with the legal form that you choose. That was the original idea because we all anticipated that if we sit down and collect donations um, because we didn't want to earn money with it, but we also didn't want to have uh, to spend many thousands of euro every month for uh, keeping this going. So we were thinking that if at the end of the day uh, we collect as much money as we need to keep the show going for like, what, three or four months uh, that we were anticipating, then we're happy. So that was initially the idea. That's what we discussed. That's why we saw a notary public and uh, signed this agreement. That's all. Um, provable we it's all on record and that's uh, we didn't just get together here now uh, coming up with a great story it's not a big secret that this should be so however the important point from my view is that this uh, corporate had two more associates which is us two and we had the same vote right of vote in the association so that was the starting situation and uh, sometimes they say, okay, it's a, it's a, a capital uh, corporation. 
And I have to say that none of us had expected any big sums to be left over at the end of the month, um, which we could use apart from printing a few leaflets or things like that. We didn't expect any money to be left out. We expected a couple of thousands of people to watch and maybe they'd give us two, three thousand euros per month and we could uh, pay the production for that or possibly rent a room to transmit and the transmission we could pay for that. And that was it. Nobody of us expected that it would take such dimensions as it did. And um, so that allegation which is being brought up that from the beginning, all of us had some idea to make some profit with it is uh, none of it is a fact because none of us had an idea of this um, online streaming offer could uh, which is in our point of view only addressing a very small market we didn't expect that it would be such a big market that we could make money with that hypothetically so that is important for me to make that clear here now to whether the people want to believe it or not is up to them because otherwise we wouldn't have done a non-profit corporate in order to transfer the money to a uh, foundation later on. Why shouldn't we have done that? Why should we have done that um, if we want to buy an island in the Bahamas from that? Well, may I say it, it uh, all went very fast too. We just um had the first um, discussion uh, with Rana in May and then bang 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 um I um think we first spoke at the end of May and then we start got started in July so we kicked into action incredibly fast really and against this background um anything else would have been very hard to achieve to uh, do a huge organizational or um, corporate law um, things, whatever, within three and a half months. We wanted to get started, uh, so other uh, people involved, Professor Homburg, for instance, uh, was planning to get started in October only when uh, he was still involved. And we uh, really felt that was important because we were sailing ahead of the wave um, and we uh, uh, anticipated that uh, the uh, anti-corona measures would be intensified in the fall in October and so we wanted to point this out to uh, people so we were actually sailing um, um, close to the wind. Maybe I can say that we assumed this uh, committee to be active for six to eight weeks and respectively the plan was to collect the information until autumn and be done with it at the time in order to take other actions after that or use the information collected if the infections or whatever measures were taken that go beyond what uh, the summertime was uh, foreseeable at the time. And that alone was one of the major reasons for us saying we'll do it this summer and have a result after that. And I think when we were wanted to be done over with, we had that intermediate report, but then we saw that we had to carry on because more information and more odds came onto the table. Yes, well, um, beautifully, I um, didn't really have to say so many things. That's basically uh, the crux of the matter. It all went so incredibly fast that um, 
if we'd sat down discussing financing models um, for anything, then we wouldn't have had the time for that at all. No, whether people believe me or not, um, doesn't really matter because that's the way it was. And I can uh, speak for myself and Antonia because I know um, um, positively that we never saw any of the um, committee um, monies, didn't want to see them either and have to put an asterisk here. That's to do with taxes, but we'll get back, get back to that later. And we didn't have um, power of attorney over any of the funds available to the committee. That always went uh, through Reiner's law firm. And that was also only conceived as a provisional solution um, because, first of all, it went to his colleague uh, Tobias Weissenborn. And then at some stage, um, because he didn't want to continue that, and I can't begrudge it, uh, that to him, because if you have an account and then there's a lot of individual um, payments, uh, then the bank starts asking questions and you don't do that um, if you don't really have to. So that's not an accusation that I'm making. But so it went primarily uh, through Reiner and only towards the very end did Viviana make her account available. But from the get-go, it went through Rainer's account. And we have to say, at least as far as we know, it's um, money that we were trusted with. And uh, it's not a mixture or mix of uh, clients' money or any other private money. And uh, so it was a pure trustee functions that we took over there for the accounts with the money that came in, at least for the account that I have. Uh, that is the case, and which I had for a certain time. That was uh, only a trustee account, and no other in or out movements happened. And this is what we thought we'd known, at least for these things that uh, were in Reiner's uh, power. And only he, um, until end of 2021, he did all this accounting and had access to the account. And um, so, for example, an invoice that came in from IT was forwarded so that it was paid from then. And I myself, um, only shortly after these things turned up, now I'm doing the transfers. But before it was all done by Reiner's office, uh, who had and who has an accounting. And uh, we had an, an accountant who was involved in that, as we've just mentioned. Well, this problematic situation that we have now <coughs> had a um, prehistory, as it were. Um, you've, uh, you must have heard about um, the uh, establishment of a company like that. I don't want to give a lecture on a corporate law now, but you have to understand um, how come that Antonia myself didn't uh, participate in the uh, committee anymore. And something that I want to anticipate right now, 
I don't want to raise accusations against anyone. Um, what happened happened and we'll have to deal with it and we'll get back to that. Um, that um, if communication had been smoother, then some misunderstandings could have been avoided. But I just wanted to say that um, by way of introduction to make you understand where we're, uh, we were coming from. We wanted the uh, corporation to be accepted as uh, not-for-profit by the tax authorities, and that wouldn't have been uh, very problematic. There were a couple of things that would have had to be uh, changed, uh, and there was some communication between the notary public and the um, tax authorities. Um, no accusation against either the tax authority or the uh, notary public. The tax authority, they have other things uh, to do as well. It's not an accusation against them either. Um, it is as it is. Um, official processes take their time, and this did take their time. And we started very quickly, of course, and we can't um, expect everybody to um, hang around waiting and say, well, what about um, registration? What about uh, the not-for-profit um, status? Uh, we did have an agreement, actually, at the time. In autumn 2021, we got a letter from the tax office saying that uh, the non-profitability is accepted. And uh, I communicated, I said this in one of the sessions, I think, and uh, it was only small things that details, for example, the um, temporal um, publication of our findings. Uh, so at the same time when we found things out they were published already so there was no major changes however briefly after that we got another letter saying that there were problems um, to accept the non-profitability and i asked why that was the case and it was said because the book that i published a summary is not in um, agreement with what the government says and this is why there would be some problem in recognizing the non-profitability and however that is not um completely ruled out yet so um it's not sure that this is going to be an obstacle but the not-for-profit status has a tax component really only but that's where things get started the corporation hasn't been um, registered as not-for-profit um, to this day by the way normally uh, when you establish such a corporation and uh, the uh, judiciary has come up with the solution that um, you're only a corporation until you're um, registered and you're a private corporation until you uh, are registered. And um, of course, if you have a good idea to launch a new product uh, to market and then you say, okay, uh, we get started five months from now when the hype is over, then that doesn't make sense. So uh, a corporation can get started as a private corporation where every uh, shareholder or every member of the corporation um, is personally liable. But after registration, it can be treated uh, retrospectively as if it had been registered uh, since the start. And the longer you procrastinate this, uh, the more likely it is that uh, the corporation will be considered to be a private uh, corporation. 
independently of what uh, the uh, uh, Articles of Association uh, state, and if we don't uh, are not allowed to uh, take money from it, then we still um, have a share of the profits that we have to pay income tax on it. And then in mid-2020, uh, uh, Antonia and I, myself, um, realized that might be a problem. Uh, so we didn't want to have any money from uh, this corporation, but also we didn't want to have to be liable to pay tax on uh, the corporate income, uh, particularly uh, for profits or for, for uh, monies that we don't even know what they are. So that uh, takes us to the point where we don't even know what the financial situation of the committee, whatever legal format um, may have, what the financial situation is, actually. And what we're potentially faced with, because we didn't really fancy being estimated by the tax authorities. And I don't think I'm telling any secrets that um, the um, tax authorities are quite rustic when it comes to uh, estimating people's income. And uh, then they might say, well, uh, we uh, thought that at the time that a few hundred thousand euro might have been collected. So uh, we might have had to pay um, income tax on um, 100,000 euro each or something. And that wasn't a sexy uh, idea. And um, we didn't want to argue vis-a-vis -vis the tax authorities that, sorry, we never saw any other money, plus um, it's not for profit. And then we couldn't even have proven to uh, the tax authorities that uh, there was less money uh, that had been collected because we didn't have access to the figures, uh, to, the, to the statements. So the tax authorities have, of course, comprehensive um, rights of information, particularly if monies are collected. So at one stage, we were uh, meeting um, some colleagues, and that was in August, early August, end of July, early August of 21. We um, called Rainer and asked him what the financial status of the um, committee was because it's still not was still not registered so we explained the problems that we saw and we told him who do we have to turn to if we need clarity for ourselves and on the phone it wasn't a problem at all he was friendly and um, said okay yeah i'm not so sure myself and he gave us a figure that actually reflected the latest uh, status that uh, we were aware of. I don't know what it was at the, uh, now anymore. At the end of 2020, uh, there was a, um, a certain amount on the uh, in the account, and that was his latest uh, update, basically. And he said uh, we uh, he would contact the accountant and he would forward uh, information to us. And that's where the problems started. So we contacted his accountant. And he immediately got, uh, went on the uh, defensive. He said, no, I'm not uh, giving you that information. You'll have to uh, clarify that with uh, Rainer and Viviane. And that was even the brusque way that he rejected us really amazed us. Because if 
does the uh, accounts for uh, the committee and he knows that the committee exists and he knew about this because he was uh, involved in many conferences and um, uh, by email well i'm not many but i can remember uh, some uh, cases where he was in, uh, involved in person where he participated via zoom and he knew that there were more um, uh, members uh, of the uh, the corporation and he said well do that uh, discuss that among yourselves and um, that was a bit amazing and then a, a ping pong game started and he said um, we asked Rainer and he said oh ask Jens I'd like to note that I didn't have that documentation because it was all done with Rainer's accountant and he had the account uh, statements and so on as well uh, said uh, it's good that you uh, mentioned that we didn't know uh, about that at the time our um, information at the point of time was it all goes via Rainer his accountant so um, these two have to approve that and then we were a bit um, annoyed there and, and confused so we met in person and we said at the time um, we won't participate in the committee anymore um, as long as this hasn't been clarified because something's fishy here and of course that wasn't a, a nice um, discussion there a nice meeting because Heiner was I wouldn't say aggressive but he was quite rejective shall we say vis-a-vis um, -vis our request so he um, suggested that we wanted to access the uh, committee's money. So it's uh, noteworthy that this suggestion comes from the only person who has access to the money, that we want to have something now. And um, the way it ended, well, we parted, um, because I uh, tried to make it clear that there might be a huge tax issue coming down the line and that we should all be interested in clarifying this and i had the impression that that was something that did get across because he said himself and realized himself um, um, the fact that his asses are dangling out the window the first as he put it um, and he was right because he had control of the monies so i really expected the situation uh, to have been clarified that way but it wasn't because uh, when we inquired again when we would finally get the information and the documentation for or about the uh, financial situation of the committee um, he simply told us i won't give it to you and then we tried via Zoom and uh, with the support of uh, some people that we know that tried to uh, broker uh, a solution, uh, to, to, to get to a solution. And that wasn't a pleasant situation either because uh, from my point of view, uh, quite out of, a out of the blue, um, there was a lot of um, shouting and um, um, anger 
um, an agro, if I can put it this way, um, because I said, yeah, we have to, uh, because uh, Rainer said the uh, corporation has to be registered first. I said, yes, I agree, but as a um, managing, uh, as a manager of this corporation that on paper we all were, we, um, well, if you register a company, you have to affirm that there is no uh, underfunding of the corporation, i.e. that at least the minimum uh, um, funds indicated in the uh, Article of Association are available. Uh, you have to do that in order to uh, uh, to pay your bills to your um, business partners. Um, and um, if you don't have that, then a, if a corporation doesn't have these funds, then they have to be deleted from the uh, ledger, uh, ledger of uh, corporations. And if you make, if you register a company uh, that doesn't have these funds, then you uh, actually commit a criminal offence. And that's why we said, as long as we uh, don't have this information, then we uh, will not be involved anymore. Uh, we really uh, should um, refrain from being managers, all of us. Um, and I think it's um, understandable that if we think, um, uh, if we're not sure whether the corporation still has enough um, funds in order to raise its um, uh, funds, its um, capital stock, its nominal capital, well, I, I did expect that we had it, but if somebody uh, doesn't uh, want to give me the information, I won't go into details of what his explanations or justifications were. They were um, ever more fantastic. Um, um, the last thing I think that he said was our tax consultants with the Freemasons or whatever, and ever more fantastic justifications of why it's impossible. And then to just, well, trust me with it, uh, well, then I have to say I'm enough of a uh, lawyer to say no, no can do. And so at the end of the day, I uh, was thinking we're here uh, to promote uh, truth and transparency. Um, and that is what we stand for. And we can't say no, 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 nobody ever took anything. Um, um, it wasn't only Viviana who said that, rightly so, but he also kept harping on about this, and he felt that it was important to communicate that uh, externally and uh, to communicate that externally, but then internally, to put it mildly, to be intransparent and um, even if I don't want to go into detail here, when it starts um, involving threats, not only once, but twice, in a way that has actually been uh, partially been implemented, and that's part of the truth, too. That, uh, in summary, if uh, we don't do as he wants us, uh, then this, that, or the other will happen. And I believe independently of what you think about truth and transparency, that's not the way to treat people, particularly not if you, if nobody ever gave him a reason uh, to mistrust um, you. 
all of a sudden uh, mistrust um, skyrockets and on the other hand i don't feel that such uh, forms such things as threatening each other is um, conducive to our uh, objective and we used to have a, a good relationship in the past and it came from out of the blue in a way and we thought a lot about a possible reason for this we had an associate meeting where we left saying okay you'll get all of that and meanwhile we had an excel sheet for the 2020 figures without accounts and uh, account statements uh, pointing out that there's not necessary to show us show this to us and that already had questionable questions paid to people from Reiner's office. Um, so, of course, that wasn't clarified because the relationship worsened more and more. And that was the only thing that we got before. And then we had that associate meeting where we left saying, you'll get all of this. And we are waiting for it until today. Well, I think this Excel sheet that I never, well, that I only learned about in the context of this current um, issue may have uh, been issued only after the um, assembly of members. Um, I wasn't aware of it and I didn't have it. And if I take a look at it now, it is actually very special. I don't know if it was before or after it, but I do think the argument at the uh, meeting from Reiner was, you got everything, what else do you want? You got everything, uh, so do your part now. And well, of course, it is a very strange way of putting it, because he had to be aware that, well, in autumn, we were in autumn 2021, and it's not really worth much to give us an Excel sheet with uh, whatever figures until the end of 2020. And then this uh, person got involved, who I thought of as our tax consultant, and from my perspective, she, um, well, I was relieved really that, or I expected that uh, it would all be audited now and uh, that uh, things would be clarified now. But what happened was um, um, I um, learned about this initiation of a client relationship as I perceived it in this Zoom meeting and then this uh, tax consultant introduced herself uh, so uh, that she was actually um, granted uh, freedom to speak. She uh, wasn't um, under a compromise, uh, compromise to uh, keep confidentiality. Um, and I thought, okay, um, that's all very uh, reliable. Um, and I would like to get back to this oft-quoted uh, annual accounts uh, because um, I have been asked about this. Um, um, well, um, annual accounts uh, is not a, a heap of invoices and um, it is a, um, a list of these various um, movements um, and you can then top them up, um, uh, movements on the account, you can top them up. 
Um, and no, that isn't what we got. And I couldn't see it as a, a communication um, um, that's a service that was invoiced as a, a lawyer's fee. And I would have complained about it if that had happened. So that I really expected this tax consultant to have been involved in uh, the uh, drafting of the annual accounts. But um, I had expected uh, her to have audited this. Um, and I asked her then at some stage what her uh, view was on these invoices. Uh, she told me that she hadn't seen anything, that she wasn't our tax consultant at all. And that was, well, what can I say? That was a, a very split approach there. Well, it was done to make us feel safe. Yes, I think this is what you can say. And you really have to keep in mind that a capital uh, corporation is a a uh, business person and a business person is uh, obliged to do a business accounting according to respective rules and they are apparently not they have apparently not been adhered to well however that is something we'll may get to later on. So we wondered what may be the reason, what may be the reason why there is so much rejection and why um, one is of the opinion that uh, threats are necessary and uh, as we found out later, defamations were put out. Um, and uh, I can comment on that, by the way. Uh, we are still there. We still work. We're not bankrupt, just to comment that. And the only supposed explanation that we could think of was that right now, or whoever, we don't know, for somehow funded political activities for, from that money. We didn't know. We don't know. We only had the suspicion that was our best guess. Um, if we had known that um, gold had been bought, uh, and a little point from me um, against that statement, that I had known of that. No, I haven't. Uh, nobody talked to me. So what we should have known from whom? Nobody talked to us at all anyway. And um, we didn't get any information. We were just um, accused and threatened and uh, shouted at and when we wanted the information. So where from should we know things? And if you only hear, no, you have to ask this person or that other person, whatever. So I can't really say much more in that respect. At this point, um, truth also includes at this point, and um, I don't want to roll this out too much and raise allegations, um, but to honor the truth, I want to count this here. We communicated the problem internally, and we said something is wrong here, and Everybody told us, well, we can't think of that, that Rainer would do this kind of thing, and just keep still, don't damage this beautiful committee, and so on. At the time, that irritated me quite a lot. And uh, 
because I kind of felt thrown on, under the bus. Um, people telling, ah, your personal ideas, your, your tax debt and so on, the committee is more important than your personal things. Well, first of all, I'm part of the committee and we set up to do things better and not say, okay, let's let's um, just kick this person out. It's about the good thing for the good of it all. We wanted to be more virtuous in inverted commas. So this is no allegation to anybody. Nobody saw this coming and nobody saw the development uh, coming that you said, well, I can't imagine this kind of thing. Well, how often have you heard this in your life? Uh, the neighbor who all of a sudden has 20 skeletons in their cupboards. Well, if we had imagined this, if we could imagine everything, there would be no crimes at all. Anyway, um, it was important for me to make this point here that this, that we did what was right from our point of view. And uh, then that's why we said we don't want to get threatened anymore and uh, get pushed into a certain direction. And we came up with the offer to leave the committee. And I do firmly assume that this attack will come from some direction. We tried to do a closing contract, which explicitly and understandable and comprehensible for everyone, was it page two, paragraph five, has a clause saying that Antonia and I leave the association in inverted commas with payment, but only to make sure that we know how much money will we have to pay in taxes for. And then we uh, announce this to the taxpayers and say, this is the money they get it. And there was a return clause, a repayment clause included. That means at the point when the non-profitability uh, status is confirmed, uh, the committee or whatever the legal successor may be will get that money repaid. And um, the only benefit for us um, would have been, and it was foreseeable that it won't be, hypothetically, we could have get a receipt for the donations. And so the only bounced party in that sense, um, without wanting to talk about the tax avoidance here would have been the tax men. However, <clears throat> uh, so um, I would have given the money to a non-profit uh, company and there were limits to this. I can't just uh, um, donate all my income for a year. There's uh, limits to it. And anyway, that would have been the only possible benefit that we could have had from this. And of course, if from that situation, and I don't want to allege Iliani, uh, Viviani here uh, <clears throat> that it didn't turn out, she would have had to agree. Um, in this situation, when you have something that they t who tells you they want all the money, they're bankrupt, they want to get on the money, and you get this on your table, of course you think, well, um, that's something wrong here. I understand this. However, from the situation and the perspective at the time at, that Viviana had or the people who had this at the time, I can understand that this looked as if we wanted to get our hands on the money at the time. I don't think so. However, you always have to see the situation as the other side sees it. The, front, the positions were hardened and uh, 
um, it didn't help to uh, get closer to each other, and I completely assume responsibility for that. And at the time, it was a certain desperation that drove me to do that because I did not want to get into that income tax trap of money, which I didn't know was there, at what amount it was there, and that they didn't know whether I will get it. And that was the situation. Um, could we could we have done it differently? Yes, it would have made se made meant sense. Well, possibly we could have communicated it in a different way. But this is why we're here today as well, and uh, from our behalf as well. Um, it didn't all go smoothly as it may have been, but uh, in order to. Uh, handle this conflict at the time when it may, might still have been possible. So, as I said, um, we try to take all the responsibility as we can. Um, that's the part, as I wrote this down, that is what I'm responsible for. However, everybody who would have made this proposal, it was not seen as a final conclusion and solution. It was our proposal saying, this is what we think, what can we do? Um, retrospectively, um, if you read it from today, you could see that nobody wanted to get their hands on the money. Only <clears throat> we wanted to have a uh, ordinary withdrawal and i think on the basis of trust that those people in inverted commerce or the per person whoever who um treated us the way they did uh, saying well do trust that it's all going to be fine and that your income tax um, won't be a problem uh, on one hand you're treated so shittily and uh, i can't say that in any other word uh, and on the other side you should have had trust that uh, that it would have gone all correctly and that this mistrust that we had at the time probably was justified is well something that we'll see later on and well <laughs> trust is not a one-way street and we really saw um, ourselves exposed to a tax burden that nobody would have bailed us out from. And, um, well, that takes us back to the first principle that you, that we started uh, from with the committee. Uh, we didn't want to take any money out of uh, the committee, but certainly we didn't want to have to uh, pay money into it either, particularly not hundreds of thousands potentially um, in taxes. Yes, and Viviane can probably say more to, about that than we can because we've only got the information which is out now that Viviane gave to us as well and what we heard from the internal communication in inverted commas that went on. Um, I would like to make this clear at this point that the situation that we talk about is undisputed. There's nothing to be interpreted here. None of the involved people disputes this, that this is the case. The only thing, anything that would publicly just point this out would 
be directly and unmistakably uh, communication by email communication, Zoom communication, where people were present could be contradicted. That's not the point. The point is only to assess this morally, to assess this legally, definitely. And one point that I'd like to make at this point is, as it is also about sums that are quite substantial uh, for the so-called external communication of the um, communique uh, of the uh, committee. Viviane can comment on that as well. And uh, one thing I'd like to mention, which we, which our colleague reminded me of, which I had completely forgotten. I do admit, but when he told me, I became aware of it. We actually, the colleague Rainer Fulmich is not the only person whose office with the increasing popularity was uh, filled up with emails. He is definitely not the only person, although he likes to spark that impression that he is the only one that uh, got all the work and had to do all of this. I don't want to comment whether it was necessary. That is going to be clarified at a given point in time. However, we had, I don't know when it was, I think it was early 2021. Well, whether we could hire someone on behalf of the committee who helps us to answer the emails who we get um, on behalf of the committee. Uh, that must have been around that because we got too much, too many emails at the time. And he clearly and unmistakably negated this. He said, no, we don't do this. We have to do this centrally somehow. And again, here, I don't want to create the impression that the problem was that he said, no, we don't do this. We have no money from the committee. Okay, fine for me. We got people who helped us voluntarily without payment. But we had to look for them. Uh, if you hire someone, you could have got them immediately. But it is explicitly double moral um, if on one side you say it was necessary to um, have my uh, hired lawyer pay, their, pay her a lawyer's fee to answer emails when, uh, well, email that arrives at the uh, law firm, not at the committee's inbox. Yes, and that's actually business of the office and not of the committee if the emails come in there. And then at the same time, tell people from the committee, we don't do this kind of thing. Well, he, he said, so, well, you, you, uh, you uh, we heard also then, yeah, we were managers, we could have done it. Yes, we don't know how much money the committee has. We don't know what the financial situation is. So as management, we are not allowed to create liabilities on behalf of the association. And well, telling us you could have done it anyway, um, at times when you are sitting on the amount of money and probably started already to, uh, 
share around in your own environment to answer emails, that is quite a uh, notable statement. And well, I have to say that it was the same thing for me. Um, and we had, of course, uh, numerous emails that uh, were directed at the entire group. You, myself, Wolfgang, Reiner, um, many people sent uh, emails in parallel. We can't expect uh, to believe that whatever it was uh, that Reiner claims to have received was directed at him exclusively. And I had uh, uh, spoken about this already um, uh, when I spoke to him. Um, this must have been emailed in the context of the class action as well, but uh, it can't have been all just uh, for the uh, committee. Um, it didn't go to him alone. Uh, my own inbox uh, also overflowed. And a, a friend of mine now handles the uh, official um, committee um, inbox. Um, she did it in uh, many um, nights uh, for a year and a half uh, voluntarily for free. Now she does it for less than 800 euro a month. So what's happening with my own um, inbox? I only handle it myself and I never asked for any support, but it, it doesn't matter. We could have discussed it in our group and we could have said, okay, we uh, pool this in one uh, point uh, and uh, anything that has to do uh, with the committee is forwarded to a central inbox and is then centrally handled. Um, that was a suggestion that was made. Um, we. Um, it, it was claimed that there was no handling of that the uh, emails arriving in Berlin weren't handled at all, and that's not true at all. Uh, we uh, could have said that, oh, we can handle this in Göttingen. And then, of course, it could have all sent be, uh, been sent there. That would have been possible to consider, of course. And about the terms as well. And the terms, of course, as well. Um, and we might have um, tendered it, um, wondering, is there a group in Berlin who can do it and at what terms, of course. It doesn't have to be a lawyer who handles this at uh, lawyer's fees. It could have been um, a, an existing staff member. Well, and only the emails that came into his inbox in his office. That's, and that's amazing, too. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's why I'm saying it simply has nothing to do with the committee's work. If it were the committee, it would have been our emails, your emails, uh, the email account of the uh, committee, and right now, well, then it would have been centralized there. But at the end of the day, he only, in inverted commas, uh, looked at his own stuff and not at the committee stuff. And, uh, that is why you can't say, well, I have uh, done the business for the uh, committee if it was only that part of the business that uh, arrived in its own inbox. That is its own business. Well, yes, and uh, one could have said um, it was never asked uh, what capacities would be available in Berlin. Uh, for instance, these emails that uh, are sent to everybody in parallel, we could have agreed uh, to and uh, maybe it was already handled by the um, handler in Berlin. Um, and then we have to, we might have had to see, maybe there's some overlap where I don't have to work anymore, or I forward it to Berlin, and maybe we need to increase our uh, capacity there. So that's really amazing. And no coordination with anyone, not with you, with me. And even um, only now in July did I learn about 
these things uh, going on. Um, so prior to that, I had no knowledge of them, and I wasn't asked about any um, invoices. I never signed anything off. And um, it's uh, obvious uh, from the reaction that I said um, when I said, oh, this is not uh, acceptable at all. How is this possible? We have to clarify this. And at the beginning, um, it was claimed that there was a legal counsel as well. But the uh, committee is not an, a law firm. On the contrary, we said that um, uh, over and over again. We said we won't go into uh, individual uh, legal counsel, we might make um, uh, sample letters available, we might give some general advice, but we won't go into uh, individual counsel. Um, uh, the committee can't do that. Uh, law firm, it's not a law firm. Every single um, director can say, with, uh, I'll do it with my own law firm. People might contact us and, and say, look, um, you do a good job in the um, committee and um, I would like to hire you as a, um, a lawyer, and um, particularly because there were so few lawyers available to uh, fight for people. And then, of course, it might have been possible to retain one of us as a lawyer um, and pay them accordingly. But it's not um, possible to do uh, something that you do uh, something um, uh, pro bono, and then I uh, take money without uh, coordination, without agreement. Uh, taking uh, this money from a third party. The committee in this case would be a third party, uh, and that's not acceptable at all. And that the committee has such a need for consultation on a month basis that, that you uh, calculate this um, as a, or invoice this as a consultation, I would wonder what issues this were. I think the only issue that we had was uh, that the YouTube channel was blocked. I think that's about it. And of course, the registration and so on. But you have a notary public for that. So for me, the point is, and maybe as the final consideration, independent on how to evaluate this, I just want to voice the following idea. The, um, that with the biggest uh, self-understanding and obviousness in the planet, um, that I uh, I have done work for the committee, and uh, you can't say anything against that if one assumes that you're all on the up and up, everything is fine and going nice, no problem. Why is it not said? Why all the secrecy? Why not? publishing the documentation. Why threats? If it is all okay, why should one need secrecy, defamation, threats, con uh, insultation, insults, and so on, uh, to uh, defend against uh, allegation? There is no allegation there. It's all easy and explainable um, if you assume that everything is right. You only do this kind of things if you do assume yourself that you're doing something wrong. Well, that's my perspective on it. Uh, if I am of the opinion that I've done everything right, I would say, okay, it's fine. Take it all. This is it. I can show the documents. No problem. Right from the start, I would have said, this is what I did. And only the circumstances that it was not 
communicated at all that it was all said that I decide this and I can decide this and I don't care what the others want to do and want to say. And then if I'm asked, um, I don't give out the information. Um, that, from my take, from my point of view, that's only done by someone who does things they know they shouldn't do. Well, let me add another point concerning the situation last year with the suggestion that you made. Um, well, my understanding was at the time that, and that was the way it was communicated to me, that um, after the discussion with the tax consultant that we do not have a tax issue there. And this is why I uh, expected this to be uh, exaggerated. Um, well, that uh, confirmed my view. Uh, we're not uh, sure yet. It's not uh, finally been decided. But I was clearly told by this uh, lady, I'm not a tax uh, expert, um, that uh, this lady, and I thought that she was involved and looked at this, uh, the, the documentation, etc., and analyzed it, that we don't have any problem. And as you said, the, the news was spread consistently that uh, there might be a pecuniary interest on your part. And I heard uh, from uh, different quarters that everybody was uh, bankrupt, um, that the people needed money. And then, um, from my perspective, um, the uh, impression that I got uh, was that uh, this suggestion is always a question of the perspective. Um, um, if it had been um, under different circumstances, um, but I um, um, know that, of course, priming makes a difference. And you look at the at people under these uh, circumstances. You look at the situation and you think, okay, there's something. And I um, got the impression, okay, you'll get the um, documentation, and then everything um, is off the table. Um, just like the assets of um, uh, the corp uh, corporation that are under uh, lock and key now, and uh, that there would be documentation on this, and I expected this to happen, And actually. So at this point, I hadn't heard about the other things, and it was uh, admitted in a discussion round uh, that we had um, trying to find a, um, a friendly solution. Um, it was said that uh, the invoices had been uh, released in coordination between the tax consultant and Rainer. Um, uh, so I uh, didn't see any fault with that, but I would have liked to see uh, to have a situation where we didn't have uh, these questions. And um, now there are um, assumptions, um, or maybe there aren't, but uh, things might not have happened the way they did, might not have unfolded the way they did. And finally, uh, when I learned about these things, I actually uh, um, pulled the emergency brake. And um, those were things that um, panned out, unfortunately. Well, we could have joined up the jigsaw together, but that's what we have to know for that. It can't work if um, you are fed with wrong information from one side. Yeah, that was the problem. We had some of the information, you had some of the information, and if that had matched, then we would have had a, um, a full picture. But with only your information, and I'm saying that without any um, um, 
accusation. If you uh, read this information the way you did, then it's understandable because it's, um, it looks like we're only after the money, but from our perspective, it was unclear whether Rainer and you are uh, in a boat and whether we're uh, faced with a front of two people or whether he was the sole aggressor, we couldn't really divide uh, that up either. So it was a difficult situation for us as well because we um, thought that we can't really sort this out. Uh, these threats that were made and then implemented um, then we're only busy um, protecting our reputation anymore, and that's why we distance ourselves. Um, so um, there's these two people who pull the strings and who have the support of the public. Um, that I have to say, that was... Um, um, I told myself, you can only lose this battle. Um, better refrain from it, retreat from it. Well, what I want to make clear, I didn't threat anybody. No, 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 no. I didn't work in any constellation towards that end. These are things that uh, went on behind my back, or at least not in the way that uh, it was for me detectable. And it is really a very complex constellation. And I think at this point, I don't know what else we want to say or how much we want to get into details. I wanted to say that in my statement, I said that we have these problems in front of us, that the money that was in, well, we don't know whether it's the case, it's in the house or it's used to pay back credits or whatever. The sum that should be repayable to the committee to ensure liquidity has not come back yet. That is the current status. And there is doubt whether this is actually possible from that real estate, because we do know that there is a first mortgage on that estate which is uh, valuable and we don't know if the secondary mortgage uh, what's on with that it's not very clear how much money is going to be coming out of that that's the situation unchanged and with respect to the 30,000 euros that were invoiced per month for the communication work uh, there's no um, a readiness to go for a discussion is visible. The documentation on that uh, gold, which is um, talked about, um, has been uh, evidently submitted, although not to me. And we have to know what this is about. We have to agree to that. And we have to uh, look at this. Otherwise, um, it looks like as if it was done on behalf of the association, and we don't know what has been going on in that respect. But there is hope that um, there may be some clarification coming up uh, as necessary. And uh, well, well, there was uh, something else. What was it? Uh, who was in the uh, Zoom? Yes, I was going to say one more thing. Um, it's uh, in respect of another topic, um, one of the other topics. What's also very important uh, to understand this story, many accused me of uh, coming out with a declaration out of nothing. 
after uh, we um, made it a um, um, just gave a hint in the uh, committee well for us the situation was such that for weeks um, or months well not months but for weeks we tried to find a solution first i spoke to uh, reiner directly about the topics asking for a um, debt in rem uh, to be uh, issued so that we are secured here because after things became um, transparent we are obliged to recover the monies of course we can't just let it go um, um, there are uh, monies from donations that uh, must be available for further enlightenment work or if we'd had a project that um, serves the purposes of this corporation, then we could have made the monies available for that. But I have to uh, uh, look after this. I can't just let it go and say, okay, um, no harm done, or uh, we don't know how um, real estate's uh, prices will develop, etc., etc. So we uh, tried to clarify that with Reiner. Maybe a notorial acknowledgement of debt, a um, debt in REM or whatever. There was not uh, much productive uh, cooperation. On the contrary, what, as Justus uh, just reported in the um, argument a year ago, it uh, was rejected very quickly and it's the same now. And so I involved the committee and um, some um, people uh, close to it, like Wolfgang Wodak, Ulrike Kamera, etc. And as a group, we tried to, um, well, create an internal um, um, public, as it were, publicity uh, in order to find a solution. Um, I mean, we could have offered um, repayment in installments to Rhino or whatever. We could have found a solution, but unfortunately, they didn't fall on uh, fruitful ground. and. The style of uh, dealing with each other was very difficult, and so there was another major, well, how can I put it? We uh, don't have a mediation problem. That was uh, misunderstood by many people, I think. There was no argument about which guests to uh, invite, what's the orientation of the committee, how do we deal with each other, etc. No, there are hard facts at stake. And we need uh, to find solutions, for instance, um, proof to be delivered or repayments to be made. And that didn't happen. And then there was a major attempt to uh, find a solution again. And at uh, the invitation of uh, Rainer, Roger Bittel got involved. Um, so it was another group of 10 or more people who discussed were involved in the discussion. The accountant, other people, um, uh, lawyer, two uh, uh, lawyers from Reiner's office and two other people were involved. And uh, there um, was no, well, actually, um, we were offered a notorial knowledge of debt with a submission to execution that we could have used uh, to uh, execute uh, payments or to um, recover the payments, but it never uh, was actually um, followed up on. And so uh, we never saw uh, proof that Rainer is in uh, possession of the second 
uh, mortgage so that the uh, the premises aren't um, subject to additional debt or mortgage. Uh, so we never got this. And what's important is that uh, Roger Bittel, who he was uh, fully uh, informed about the facts, about the fact at least that there are very diverse interpretations of the situation. And I have to say he had uh, Reiner um, in his show for for this first statement, and he actually uh, fully took uh, his side and never asked any critical questions, even though he knew the background of um, this story. And um, that is a very difficult thing uh, in terms of journalistic approach as well, um, because it has um, a, a feel of objectivity here. And nevertheless, uh, the interviewer knows that there is a diametrically opposed interpretation of the facts. And uh, on top of that, that the facts are um, not in question at all, as Eustace said. So uh, Aina doesn't um, uh, reject the fact that he, um, he doesn't deny the fact that he got these monthly payments. He just says that um, he um, is a safe haven for the money. Well, um, if he actually invested it in, a, uh, in real estate, then it is the opposite of a liquidity reserve. So the facts were fully known, and I really would have expected an objective journalism, uh, journalist to ask a critical question or two. I was invited to Biddle to say uh, something, but I, um, if I uh, know that everything are different from what Rainer says, that it's not about guests invited, etc., and then I can't just allow someone uh, to keep talking and uh, second what he says, uh, and then I have to uh, um, ask uh, critical questions if you have uh, background knowledge. There's a code of conduct for journalists as well. That's a question to Mr. Bittle that I um, have. Why did that happen the way it did? Because it was almost a promotion for Rainer. It was a, a platform for um, his view, really. Right. Um, the whole thing didn't get resolved. And at uh, some point, the problem was that we have to take a stand and we have to distance ourselves from this. And so we chose uh, this concrete approach. We had to create a distancing. And at the same time, we had to offer a possibility uh, of finding a solution without making it all public. And I have to say that, uh, Rainer, if um, something had happened at this point after this first a discrete consolation in the committee, um, it would have been possible to say, okay, Wright will um, really uh, go the extra mile and uh, well, Reiner goes the extra mile and comes along with the um, securities or um, the money. And then uh, that uh, could have ended the whole story. Nevertheless, it didn't happen. Nevertheless, uh, instead, uh, we were attacked. Uh, and that shows that the problem that we had internally, that we um, can't find a solution here. And I have to say, we called this meeting um, an inconvenient uh, truth. So we really started the whole thing um, to uh, bring truth to the fore. I started my petition at the time because I saw that something is going wrong, was going wrong. Um, and I'm fully grounded in um, the 
constitution like you are as well and it's um, unacceptable that um, enlightenment uh, about all these problems that we look at these things critically um, when things become apparent um, when they become apparent should we've looked uh, more closely earlier yes maybe that can be said but on the other hand it's a consolation where if you have this joint conviction um, that we um, have based all of this uh, on that it's about truth, um, transparency, authenticity, then I'm a bit surprised, to be honest, if the situation um, becomes uh, so different in a backhanded way, if I may put it this way. I wouldn't have thought it possible, I have to say, and um, well, we could have noticed it faster or if the communication paths had been different, maybe the whole thing would have happened or other things might have happened. But uh, if you look at how we got started and how uh, dynamic the whole thing was, um, from my perspective, I can say I have um, uh, little children, I have pets, I had a, a tunnel view on tunnel vision on uh, societal work and that's what it was all about from my point of view and uh, this sort of thing should happen was really beyond my um, uh, field of um, perspective, um, perspective well from my point of view and i think this is something that we really have to face is that in inverted commas in a critical movement there were misdevelopments uh, this happens everywhere where uh, society develops in the wrong way we had this as well the question is only how to address this and for me it is very misuseful if we on one hand uh, tell the state and certain players and allege them quite justifiably saying that they created panic uh, they worked with defamation they didn't work with proper journalism and uh, from the toolkit of fascism um, I know I'm gonna get criticized for saying this but if you read the respective literature on that topic then you will be able to see why I say this, why this massive entanglement between economics and politics, uh, that money is moved into um, individual countries, uh, companies, be it pharmaceutical, be it energy uh, corporates, on the cost of the citizen. Uh, it's always the problem for uh, the, all the, the solution for all the problems that we have is take money of the citizens and give it to individual business players. And that's always the problem for the solution for all the problems on our planet. Uh, as long as I do this, uh, I cannot criticize this quite justifiably and then by the same way, behave in the same way. And there's lots of people in the critical movement who did this as well. And this is something that we have to address and face and say, this is not the right way to do it. And say, um, uh, we have the means and that's why we fight against the big people. That's why we are allowed to do that. That takes us to the same level that we criticize. And uh, that is no help for anybody. And that I think is very tragic that this way, the good, work which has been done is sort of damaged in a retrospective well 
how to say damaged. I think the work on the committee, the content-wise work, is uh, stands for itself, and we did a good job. And I really want to contribute to Reiner. He did a good job in this. Um, you can't say anything else. Mm, sometimes we have seen him a bit of a, as a bit of a cowboy. He's got these elements and moving forward fast. And uh, where you said uh, maybe saying things in ways that nobody, that not everybody agrees to 100%, maybe he himself, if not. Anyway, that we or he has said things that may be counterproductive. Uh, that's something that we, uh, we are riding in front of the wave here and uh, putting it all live and uncut. I think good work was done there, and that speaks for itself. And uh, against this background, it is very dear to me that I was in a situation on how to address this. Uh, theoretically, at least for me, it's not understand, not thinkable, but there could have been an opportunity to say, we have these things and I don't speak out. And then the situation is quite different than it was with you at the time, because nothing was clear. There was no... Uh, well, the documentation is not available or not is not made available. However, now we have issues that are clear. And if I say I know it and I'm in that truth movement and knowingly I find a uh, whatever compromise, legally I would be very vulnerable. And uh, uh, also at the same time, Morally, we can't say that we stand up for the truth and now we have a difficult thing going on, a difficult issue, and I just uh, push that under rug to keep everything up and going and it'll blow up in a couple of months. And then people will say, well, you knew it at the time, you didn't speak out. Um, that's just uh, what we ask the people now in the hospitals and elsewhere that you see people um, with the babies having problems and so on. And you see that the people get turbo cancer and you see this and you don't speak out and it'll drop onto your own feet. Uh, that's the same thing that we are asking of the other people. We have to live up to that for ourselves as well. And one more thing I want to say when all of this came up, Rainer said uh, the uh, committee doesn't have a, a financial problem. It did. At the point when all this came up, we had a liquidity of 1,000 euros on the account. How is that going to work? We have got legitimate staff who works for us, who have to be paid. That's obvious. And with 1,000 euros, you don't get anywhere. And if I hadn't had the liquidity put back in, it wasn't a credit that I took. It was, as we said, it was uh, um, designed as a credit as a um, liquidity funding, as a reserve to make sure that money is there if we need it. If I hadn't paid this back, then we would have gone bust weeks ago. And uh, so this is something that's not true. And of course, Reiner now with his liquidity reserve should have put it out and uh, allow the committee to carry on working. That is something that we have to make clear here as well. 
that this is especially extreme also with respect to the work here that we can carry on the research work that we can scrutinize things and uh, by cutting off the business funds or the monetary funds that is obstructed so we don't have only got the uh, situation that money uh, is not accessible and it's not gone forever i massively fight for this money to come back and i'm optimistic that we'll uh, prevail in that but at the moment we can't access this money uh, in order to carry on the work of the committee so that's one thing that money has gone the other thing is that at the same point the money has gone temporarily at the same time we have the situation that with the committee um, we have uh, we are facing bankruptcy that's a very extreme situation and uh, in, uh, involving active other activities probably with the money of the committee can't be well, without making um, any assumptions, it is a, a remarkable consolation to uh, uh, have uh, to interfere with the corporation in a um, existential way and to spend uh, essential funds and to say at the same time, I'll start my own show here then you can get the impression that um, an attempt was made to kill the competition. Uh, I'm not saying that this is happening, but there is a temporal correlation here. And that is, of course, deplorable if um, such methods are fallen back on, if that is the case, because there's no reason why two similar formats shouldn't exist in uh, at the same time. Yes, and I would add to this, everybody of us, each of us was free to say, I'll leave the committee, I'll do my own show, I do Antonia Fischer show, or Viviane Fischer show, or Aina Filmi show, whatever. Uh, that would have been possible any time, and there would not have been any financial issues that need to be raised. Uh, I think that you've split this up, because uh, there would have been opportunity to discuss whether um, this also forwards the message of the committee and you could have said for example it is a spin-off so to say with a certain sum provided um, and uh, however you can't do in your own power saying all oh, this sum now should go to my own project that is absurd that can't be done uh, because for this concrete thing is not what the money has been donated for especially not to the amount and as we said everybody could have le left it at any time there was no obligation to work here and um, it could have been of being used for their own format but not on the back of the committee and now it could have come back now it could have been discussed what to do how to focus in other areas no problem I'm completely free of that and if Rainer wanted to do something in America where he wants to go now um, that could have had a positive uh, effect on it or we had the idea like this Israel show to do a subdivision for example in USA um, due to the wish of Rainer to go to uh, the US we had already developed the concept but that was of course not in a uh, fiscal dimension as we see it as of now however I'm optimistic that we will be able to get this money back to where it belongs and well another comment 
a last comment maybe in that issue. Um, there have been um, quite a few statements about my person, very personal, and defaming and insulting. And I think, as you just said, uh, a competitive show if we had both of them fair next to each other that would have been different but here it was really by uh, discrediting the person trying to uh, really reduce their credibility um, to continue work of the committee and other activities and cause some damage there and this, of course, has quite a different dimension to it. This is something that is an absolute no-go in my view. And uh, now we have to look at this. There are similar things have been launched against Over Media, who was an important partner, cooperation partner for us all the time without Over Media. We really have to say the committee wouldn't be existing in the shape it is. And when we had the idea, as you said, we were newbies. We had no idea on how to really present ourselves in the net. And even myself, if, if I did fashion for a time, uh, I, I wasn't fit in transferring and broadcasting live shows. I had no idea how to do that. Um, I just asked Jens Wernicke at the time uh, if he knew somebody, and he proposed uh, Robert Siebes from Over Media, who were from the documentation area and had their streaming format with the narratives and um, engaged and committed in it. And uh, it is notable that Over Media um, is fundamental in contributing to the important information and the important message of Wolfgang writing a beginning of the crisis was broadcast to a larger audience because Robert and uh, Wolfgang uh, by accident met in a train and discussed the topic and made a very important video and over media has supported us all the time on their own basis and uh, we'll say more about that in a minute and the point is that I find this very bad and very problematic that uh, if for these statements that are made now, which are all false, um, that these important partners of the uh, committee are damaged uh, in their in their reputation. And so that's a very bad effect in the public. And it's the same thing of asking why can't you uh, coexist peacefully if the financial issues are sorted out and uh, then um, you walk on and work on in peace. But of course, you can't do that if there's a misproportion of uh, financial status, uh, which is um, internally triggered and well maybe now i would like to hand over to wolfgang maybe you can comment a bit and we have robert sievers with us from over media who can comment as well ulrike as well as here no she's not well hello everybody i have been following your extensive uh, statements uh, and you've been quite candid and Justus said a lot of things about where he said, we could have done this diff uh, differently, and you also criticized yourself, Viviana. So you were uh, turning your cheek, really, and um, many will abuse this and will 
uh, hit you again. Normally, when you turn the other cheek, then the opponent will react um, by saying, okay, um, that's it. This usually triggers a bite inhibition. It um, stops um, the confrontation, uh, so you start talking again. But we're in a um, situation, a uh, controversial situation, where you can't expect this. And uh, that's why uh, Rainer Fümich maybe was uh, strategically um, better advised because he never turned the other cheek. He just uh, bit all around him. Um, tactically, that might be the better approach, but yours is more uh, honest. So you have my um, empathy for it. And as someone who has actively um, supported the committee, trying to cover the medical aspects, if I only um, remember all the, think of all the the emails that were uh, forwarded that I received, but that you also forwarded to me that I couldn't unfortunately all uh, answer, and I actually uh, put on my uh, website, please don't expect an answer, um, because I didn't want to disappoint people, but I, I probably did disappoint a lot of people. But um, in our voluntary capacity, we did what we could, and sometimes you try to use the committee meetings to uh, give answers uh, to all the questions um, raised via email. You don't have to answer them all um, by email. So that's a deficit that I see uh, with us as a group of uh, people who try to face um, the situation and distinguish between the important um, from the unimportant. I think that's understandable. I always found it great that we have these uh, different uh, characters in uh, on the committee. Now, what are these live shows called uh, where you have a camera trained on a um, family that um, uh, is monitored or, or watched um, uh, live 24-7? Uh, what do you call it? It's a reality show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought it was a reality show that we had. I really liked it. Uh, in this um, inimical uh, world, um, we were like a family, and I have to say, I always admired Rainer for um, shooting left, right, and center. He uh, gave out to people, he used um, terms uh, and um, bad language like a Winchester, really. And it really, I uh, it didn't. Uh, I, I didn't really impress me. I didn't like it much, and I criticized him for it. Um, but this is his way of keeping things, at, uh, keeping people at bay. And then he didn't have to speak about problems that are being raised now, of course. And what I had to see when uh, the committee suddenly didn't have any money anymore. And um, uh, when Viviana told me that uh, there was a reserve um, for uh, the, the committee, and there was a lot of money that uh, could uh, have kept the committee going uh, for a long time, that it was parked with Rainer, and he won't let the uh, committee access it, then I thought, oh, this is a conflict. Um, why did he do this? And so I looked in, I wanted to know more. I tried to get information about what amount of money uh, we're talking about, and where exactly it is parked, and then I suddenly saw 
that there is a huge conflict of interest arising here. And this uh, conflict of interest that I saw with Raina now, quite clearly, and I uh, demanded, and I really tried to solve it together with Viviana because it was healable. It um, started at the beginning of August and went until recently, and we tried, Viviana and I tried to find an internal solution so there wouldn't be any damage to our joint um, objective. And I know that with other fighters who we uh, cooperate with, I asked them, how would you handle the situation? And some said, well, let the money to him, he does a good job. No, no, can, can't do. We all did a good job. And uh, we can't allow this because if one simply uses, I'd say abuses, uh, trusts uh, for themselves, then I uh, would call it corruption. And what I uh, saw here um, disappointed me so badly, uh, like I've uh, rarely ever been disappointed by anyone. And I wouldn't have expected Rainer to do this sort of thing. I was really uh, shocked. And in one of these meetings, I don't know which one it was, I carefully distanced myself without saying it like that, but I uh, gave him a warning shot, hoping that he would start doing things. Um, it was only my uh, talking um, theoretically about the possibility of class action. Um, so class action isn't collecting money, but it is collecting power so that um, it uh, can be um, uh, can lead to a lawsuit that will be um, successful for the uh, plaintiffs. It's not possible in, uh, in Germany yet. Um, I wanted him to realize, and he realized it. Uh, he said it was a cowardly, backhanded a a attack. It was an attack, yes, but it wasn't backhanded. It was a careful attempt to carefully distance myself uh, from him and to say, well, my dear um, Rainer, not with me. Um, and I uh, told him at some uh, stage, Rainer, I, I don't want to be named uh, uh, together with you. I don't want to um, appear publicly with you. I don't want to cooperate with you, uh, neither in the party nor in the committee. Um, I just don't trust him anymore. And that is something, uh, a personal decision I took, and I have to stand by it. And I do. It's a painful thing. But I think this uh, purification process that uh, results from naming things. And if you adhere to the laws that still apply to us, at least for us, they still apply. Um, the Constitution it, uh, still applies to me, and I think for everybody um, present here today, um, we don't have any other laws. We only have the law of uh, violence, of corruption, the law of money, and that is no law, and many people don't have any money. And um, that's why we have to act by these laws, and we have to ensure that we remain credible because we do act by the laws and take them seriously, and we cannot tolerate this sort of thing then. Now, the legal implications are uh, up for you to uh, decide. I'm not 
anyone uh, involved in the um, business aspects of the committee. I never received a single dime, and that's why I'm out of this aspect. I also didn't advertise my um, uh, my consultancy um, people who approach me. I sometimes had to tell them, look, it's so much I can't handle it. But all I did, I did because I felt that uh, people needed help and that I have, uh, I don't have this um, selfish interest because I want to derive any benefits from this. Um, I didn't want to have this because then it's not my, um, I, I wouldn't enjoy this work anymore. It wouldn't be my work anymore. And I really like uh, the fact that we speak about this candidly um, by putting the shards on the table here. We can make a new mosaic out of it. We can do, do something beautiful with it. So it allows for a new start. We'll um, stay clean. We have stayed clean and if you don't want to go along there you're no longer with us and then you'll have to see how you can uh, go on and i hope that all people who still yearn for uh reina uh, that uh, they won't get far with it that's my view well one colleague well known to me always said follow the money <laughs> yeah, you might as well say go to hell, same thing. Well, I would briefly ask Robert to comment. Maybe, well, there's been lots of uh, allegations made towards you with... Thank you, first of all, Wolfgang. Yeah, well, I think... I. I think it's a good thing uh, uh, for you to ask Robert now, uh, to involve Robert now, because he was really the first. I was, I had my anger. I was really uh, annoyed when I realized that we are uh, being betrayed again. Um, that was my mood when I went from Hamburg to Berlin and I met Robert uh, on the train and I um, spoke about it to him. And I said, we have to do something about it. He's listened to it and he said, yeah, 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 we have to. And then at some stage, you contacted me and asked me, won't we uh, do a video? Can you repeat that on camera again? You called, called me. Um, so we did it in the center of Berlin, in the basement there um, uh, with him. We did this uh, video. Um, he's a professional. Of course, he did it very well. And that was the resource that we um, had access to. And then I asked them, uh, can't you uh, do it for the committee? And then uh, Viviana organized it all. She had this beautiful table built and she uh, designed the setting. And someone who knows about design and fashion, she did this. Viviana is, uh, to me, is the mother of the committee. And she has kept it all together. And what I've seen over the last few weeks that was really driven by the uh, concern. She really wanted to keep Rainer on board all the time, really. And she said, well, Rainer, you can solve this so easily. And she didn't want the committee to be damaged. So this must have been quite nagging um, This uh, to do the splits like that. And Rainer, um, uh, in, insulted her privately, he didn't answer, and he um, covered it up with insults. Um, that was really so disappointing. 
And now, um, if Oval Media hadn't been on board, we wouldn't be here today, then uh, nobody would have noticed it, probably. And I think the professionalism, the way uh, it's done, that the in, uh, interpretation was added, that was internationalized. At the beginning, Rainer used to do the translation into English and became ever more important for the committee at the time. And then uh, translation was professionalized afterwards. And I think that was very important because it also uh, led to a situation where we're uh, much more um, perceived internationally. So Oval Media did that very well. And we never paid anything. He uh, simply did it. He only collected his footage because Robert is an um, untiring footage collector. Uh, whatever he um, gets to see, he um, tries to uh, film. And it's um, very important historically as well of what he has collected here and all those um, uh, films and stories that have been um, told, all the uh, stories that have been uh, told by the various guests that is really an, an historically important document. So, Robert, that's good work you did. And it's important, uh, it's still not enough. No, actually, I lost 100% of my customers. I don't get any funding publicly. And I didn't even look at the donations that we got from the committee. Uh, we just uh, looked at this uh a couple of weeks ago because we were alleged by Rainer and first of all I'd like to say that I have nothing to do with these questions really of course I have no connections to the class action or to the um, association we just help where we can and if I can consult and advise I'm in this. I was uh, in many of the uh, preparation meetings for the grand jury for the base camp. And there's so many cameras in this world and so many professionals who can take films. Nobody does it because they don't have the budget. And I thought, you can't do that. That's no go. And that was the attitude that we had in other projects prior to Corona crisis as well is helpful if something um, exciting goes on, you have to document it. And I hardly leave my house without the camera nowadays because lots of things happen spontaneously. And I can tell you great films are going to be made of these uh, materials. Many things are going on. Well, I begrudge you one thing, though, you know. Um, when the car broke uh, down in uh, uh, Vienna and we were trying to get to Berlin, the only thing you did, you didn't help, you just uh, filmed it. Yeah, it was a great scene, great lighting with that blue flashlights and so on. Maybe the public will know it and it's going to be in a big cinema movie and we're go, all going to see it in a big uh, theater and we're going to celebrate that scene as very thrilling. Because in film, conflicts are good for the film. Uh, they bring the story forward. But in real life, it's different. Of course, you want to have a calm and uh, simple move, smooth things going on. And now it's really the case that the attacks against over media, which have nothing to do with the question, the question as I have uh, understood you now, is that money uh, is not in the control of the committee. That's where it has to come back. That's the question. Everything else 
is um, a diversion and it's not the conflict. If it weren't the case, it wouldn't be an open conflict. Whether what over media is doing on, whether I'm stupid, I'm great, has nothing to do with that. That's a different question. And as far as others um, uh, mentioned, another section doesn't matter at all, but it did take an effect. Now we have lots of donations less um, after um, Reiner on Bittle TV told us or said that we get too much donations or we get even payment from the, from the committee. Uh, and that's unclear. Maybe we can say this, this payment. We went through the figures and uh, we bought technical equipment, servers, computers. We did the purchase and simply shipped the boxes. And um, uh, in addition, we transferred the base camp and there was no donations for that, neither for the committee nor for over media. And the grand jury was broadcast by us. So we did all of that individually with invoices, invoices but with a dumping price that was only uh, covering our costs and had no margin. And so it's not really the case that these activities um, help us and fund us as a company. That's happening, been happening since two and a half years, mainly by the donations directly made to us. There are some people who donated substantial sums. Um, uh, that's a third of the total donations by two, three people. And then there are donations which are um, reasoned that have a means and some that have to do with the corona work so sch for stiftung corona ausschuss or something like this and if we add these up all together for the time uh, from july 2020 to may 2022 we get a total sum of around 180,000 euros uh, which is a lot of money but, of course, for a total of 104 sessions with a team of six or seven people and expensive equipment, we had a minimum sum that we agreed on. So it was not an agreed sum. It was just a, a sum that would keep us above water because we have to pay the external service providers. And that was even higher than that. So thanks to this sum that we've made now, we find that we could invoice another 50,000 euros for the committee. The real sum would have been 236,000 euros. I could go down to the details. I have it all round to the, to the digits here. Maybe boring. Let me say uh, that uh, when we got started with uh, the stations, at the time, we didn't really know what was coming down the line. We had no idea. And uh, I actually uh, know a lot more about it now. Uh, we uh, did learn that um, this kind of uh, broadcast would normally um, be much more expensive according to market prices. But we did agree on um, the uh, freelancers who uh, were involved, professionals, but also staff members, that they would uh, make their contribution uh, at cost price. Um, uh, and we wound up with a, a price of, what, 1,700 euro or whatever um, per session. 
um, to pay their um, daily fees or whatever. And, and we said, okay, uh, we didn't know how much money we would collect um, and we didn't want to have to pay this sum uh, of money ourselves all the time because we didn't really know whether we will collect that much money. And um, as he said rightly, uh, a lot of things were done um, uh, free of charge. And for instance, this table, I made this free of charge and the design of the room. But of course, that was there are limits. We can't commit to uh, financing everything and nobody would have had the money available to uh, pay uh, all sorts of people and uh, to expend five or ten thousand euro a month or whatever. Um, so at some stage, uh, enough is enough. So if we are committed ourselves, um, uh, we can't be expected to also make a, a mon uh, monetary um, contribution every day. So we said, okay, we will make a dual uh, call for donations for ourselves and for the technical um, end of things. And if we don't um, take in enough money, then we will top it up. So 500 euro or whatever um, are missing, we would top it up. That was the idea. And we did it for a good while. And my information was always that it uh, was just um, covered um, or um, at least it's not uh, a multiple uh, that we uh, take in. So we never went into detail because you said, oh, um, um, it's okay. Um, and then um, donations are coming and it's got more expensive because we had a double stream um, from the beginning of the middle of last year. It's in English as well. You need extra people. Um, um, not much, I think uh, another 400 euro, whatever. It's still at uh, cost price, but now we just uh, went to direct payment uh, because it's no longer covered by the donations. Now it turns out that it's actually uh, not even covering your um, costs. We'll have to see how we handle this, but certainly uh, what happened isn't uh, like Rainer implied that millions of donations worth of donations were collected for oval media that were uh, diverted um, disappropriated and to uh, simply claim this on the basis of nothing because we don't have any figures i couldn't have even named it in figures because like you i just was committed to the matter issue and i just thought can i pay the salaries this month okay i can so let's move on uh whether it's a bit more or less per session <clears throat> is something that i did really work with because i was focused on the project of the committee and the other projects that we do and reiner had no idea about our funding our finances he still hasn't today he still says he we have financial issues and uh, uh, suggests a bankruptcy and says that we took the money from the uh, committee which was <clears throat> not directed to us he it's freely invented i didn't even know about that well, to enrich yourself uh, illegally um, and go bankrupt at the same time is impossible anyway. Yes, and I was uh, uh, allegedly bought expensive cameras and stuff. You have to be creative to that. That's not my stuff. I'm a very normal filmmaker. Anyway, I don't know if I have to go into more detail, 
I feel I uh, take a lawyer to uh, go up against this, and uh, I think this is also um, libel, and uh, we have a problem. I, I see this in the money coming in. I see getting uh, horrible emails, people accusing me, how can I do this thing? How can you take the money? Um, these are allegations that are monstrous. And uh, for anybody, especially for us, because everybody who works in the team are really pro the thing and work for the issue. Everybody who works for Oval Media, and it's many people who, everybody who's uh, employed and they earn less than they could elsewhere. And they say, it's okay, I just want to live on it and I want to focus on the matter at hand. That's our attitude, that's my attitude as well. If the audience knew how much money I live with, because, uh, well, I earn less than our uh, my employees do. And I think it's right, we're in a high risk time as an employer. I can only take the money that I need for myself and my children, full stop. And that's the attitude, and it has to be the attitude altogether. So we, well, I don't have to tell you that we are not an advertising agency. We don't work for money. We work for the matter at hand. We were like that prior to Corona crisis. And if we do um, a documentary and producers, that's your attitude anyway. It's not a profession to make money with per hour. Uh, you do these things for other motives. And I can't say anything else about this. Well, it's done and it's outside of the question. And uh, that's it. Well, Wolfgang, we can't hear you. Well, I think this reality show has been uh, very fruitful this time, and the many questions that people asked, also um, the angry emails that I got as well, and um, the relationship that has suddenly changed, because um, something always sticks if you badmouth publicly. I'm used to that. I've been used to it for a while now. Um, but uh, luckily, if you sling mud, uh, you'll be the one who um, has mud on, it, uh, on his face at the end of the day. That's the way it is. So it'll be good uh, to simply stand our ground, um, to um, continue to be committed to the cause, and that uh, and to show people um, by good work um, that we want to help them. Um, simply keep up the good work. And there's a lot of people who help us. Uh, there have been a lot of people who have supported us. There will be a lot of people who uh, support us. And we'll never have anyone coming into this committee trying to sell um, something. We've had these situations, and it always um, angered me. Um, if people are willing uh, to pass the truth on as best we know it if we do it to help people to take the fear away from them above all for them to understand for them to use their own brains um, so they can critically question what they see on other media here we can get people to engage brain to ask questions 
and I've um, perceived it in the media. I haven't really uh, read it, but uh, suddenly questions seem to be popping up left, right, and center. Um, even uh, the members of the Ethics Commission uh, seem to be uh, at loggerheads all of a sudden. Isn't that great? Because they used to be all uh, of, a, of one uh, mind. And also um, in the health services, um, that uh, the fact that um, the elderly are supposed to wear masks now, what kind of nonsense, what kind of torture is this? There's so much nonsense going on. And by the way, I participated in a mask symposium um, organized by uh, the, the association um, that Mr. Bhakti is uh, on, on, whose board Mr. Bhakti is, and I uh, said something uh, about uh, sense and nonsense of masks from the point of view of a hospital hygiene expert, the way I learned it and used to teach it, i.e., how you have to learn it if you have responsibility in a hospital. I simply implemented that, transposed it to what we are experiencing now. And I want this um, presentation to be spread. I don't do it because it's a great uh, show, but because what needs to be said has been said in a very focused way there, and everybody working in a hospital, anyone in a position of responsibility in a clinic or in a nursing home should really watch this. And it would be great if we can uh, maybe show it um, in the uh, committee here as well. I made it available. Uh, I'll make it available on uh, my website as well. It's unbelievable what they want to impose again on people, and civil disobedience is the only possible action we can take. Well, Wolfgang, that's uh, summarizing as well the work of the committee and the questioning voice. The uh, voice of the dissidents is more important now than ever because lots of things, as you say, is starting that many, many people are questioning, are wondering, uh, because uh, the show is not convincing anymore and uh, the um, events are becoming more clear against this background it's absolutely necessary that we don't give up our work and in the face of the diff difficult economic situation and as uh, we have to get the money back first uh, we will not let go of this to carry on with the work and we will not uh, let ourselves get dug under we will take everything possible will continue, and if we have to do it with our mobiles, we'll keep it up. Well, I don't think we'll get that far. <laughs> well, I think the value um, of these uh, sessions is created by the um, know-how of the guests. And I think that was uh, the situation in the past, and it uh, will be the situation in the future. Asking questions is the catalyst, but you can't um, judge the uh, people by the past uh, by saying, oh, he did this, that, and the other. No. Um, the team of the committee that is modifying now, changing now, that's just 
the way that's, it is. That's quite right. And I'm very happy that we have uh, companions, also people who live from this, but still uh, speak up if we go down the wrong path. If we try to turn wrong, they say, stop. Do you really think that is? We have critical people in the team. Um, I don't know if we can, we, I don't think we uh, can mention the names, but still more I think of them. We've got very good people who help us in the coordination, who help us to invite the guests, uh, who have the preliminary talks and who do very good work. And I think there's a lot of gratefulness that we owe them. Uh, they do great work. <laughs> and as someone outside of the committee, I um, observed how the committee stood together in this crisis with Reina and how uh, this is a uh, trusting team and that the people who uh, consulted, who uh, are interviewed regularly in the on the committee, uh, not only Viviana, um, uh, who have supported not only Viviana but also Wolfgang. It was great to observe this community that was only uh, reinforced by this crisis. That's quite right. And one more point I'd like to make, uh, which is about the book. Uh, Rainer said that I can't have it printed because I don't have the money for that. That's absolutely not right. Um, it doesn't cost, printing a book doesn't cost uh, 75,000 euros or whatever, because you could, depends on the uh, volume, and there is smaller issues as well with fewer copies and uh, fewer, fewer editions, smaller editions. So um, that's flexible. And one thing for me, the situation was that I put a lot of work into this book and uh, um, it is an interview situation between uh, Reiner and me added by talks that we had prior to the discussions of the shows and uh, pointing out how we see certain things or at least that Reiner whom I assumed that he saw them as we do now. Well, if there are differences, I can't evaluate that now. However, uh, that is true as it is there historically. And I think many of the things that are in the book are interesting, exciting uh, to read. But now, due to the situation that has emerged, it wasn't possible for me to simply publish a book at that point in time when it was planned, just as uh, kind of uncommented in a positive uh, self image or whatever of the values that we stand for, because if these things um, that are contrary to that currently appear, to me, uh, at least that way, and that is why I um, refrain from doing it, at least for the time being, and I think it's understandable if you read the book, and I think it was very important that uh, if you have this adding added comments to it, uh, which is not in the book itself. Uh, as I said, we have um, agreement that the book will be published the way it is now and as it exists. And I'm not going to uh, put other things in it that Reiner has said if he didn't say so. Uh, but there is an amendment to it <clears throat> uh, that relates to the things that happened after this. And uh, in that context, uh, I thought, it may, if it makes sense, I thought to leave it 
at all uh, as a whole. But I think um, as the good work that we've done in the committee as well and good contributions Rainer made, the book is authentical and it's real and it has to uh, be published. Uh, it would be very strange that many of these things uh, that would allow people to understand the history and uh, that this shouldn't be really uh, stopped. And just like, like the... Uh, the importance that it has, none of that has been lost. But as we are doing now, uh, speaking out inconvenient, inconvenient truths, this has to be added to the book from my point of view. And uh, Reiner can add a, another amendment, so to say, where he um, publishes his take. I think it could be a developing story altogether. I'd be happy with that. But I think from my point of view, that is part of it. The book will be um, delivered in short time. And I thank everybody for their patience. Uh, it has nothing to do with any shortcomings uh, that it wasn't published so far. It has a moral or factual reason, editorial reasons, if you want to say so. So I thank everybody for the patience. It'll be out and then everybody can read it and uh, come to their own conclusions. And I um, still agree with the original part because not everything that we've seen from Reiner, I do really think there is a side where it's all clear and right and truthful as it was before. And now there is a different side to it. I have a problem in joining up the two, um, but people are multiple. And in that sense, um, I think we come to the end of our session and our debate so far, and we can take leave. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Well, he hello and welcome back. This was a recorded session, as I said, for time reasons but we wanted to show this right today please excuse me for having it having your wait uh, we thought it would be more brief when we planned it and this is why we can really start later one thing i need to make clear the over media figures i had a little mistake there i said 1700 euros however there was another sum added that we paid for a certain time which was a sound engineer who we paid i think was 300 euros per session who was later than uh, paid by oval media so that would have had to be added and beside after the double stream with the english version the interpreted version we have another streaming person added to it because we had two streams to attend so i think this is why it all added up to 2300 in the end as the price for oval media just to make this clear in case of any fact checkers want to recalculate this they are happy we're happy to welcome them and i think we'll have a written statement on that as well just to make it clear at this point already that uh, we don't get any wrong figures uh, 
throwing doubts on what has been said. Well, it's important to carry on with question. Um, again, if you don't ask questions, you won't learn. And this is why it's important to carry on with the questions. And that's why we'd like to take up the actual session with our guests as of today. We have Gerald Boos with us. He is a human rights uh, uh, activist. And uh, we had him in our session. Ralph, I'm happy to have you here. Hello. I think you are muted still. Can you hear me better now? Yes. I just wanted to mention one more thing uh, by uh, coincidence, uh, if you want to say so. Um, you contributed to the um, work also with um, Over Media. You worked in the hearts uh, for criticism, the German social funding system, and I accompanied you in all of that the resistance against it which was uh, which went in front of the federal court and i wrote an article i think the heart's fear wonder which was published by jens wenneke in the rubicon and that is how i was in contact with uh, jens wenneke at the beginning of the corona crisis who triggered the contact to the stream of uh, over media and Robert Sievers. So one thing adds to the other. Maybe you can contribute a bit about your own person. And of course, I'd be interested in what you're doing and what you're up to. Well, today, I uh, walked into a glass door and, and um, I'm still a bit uh, shaky, um, and you can see that I was bleeding, but um, otherwise I'm fine. I'm in a different location now, and I'll tell you more about it later on. Now, if you ask about me, I made sure that the uh, sanctions uh, on the social security system uh, went to the Constitutional Court, and the Constitutional Court declared them in violation of human rights and in uh, violation of the uh, constitution and um, before the uh, Munich Security um, Conference, our uh, president at the time, uh, Gauck, uh, said we have to assume responsibility. And at the time, um, I uh, realized that that didn't mean that. We have to go forth into the world as brokers, as Willy Brandt did, but that we have to go out with armaments again. And that's when I realized that our uh, republic, our politicians have forgotten what German history is, what is the uh, task of German history, what our people really want. And I realized that this republic is no longer uh, functional. And uh, this is, um, uh, since then, I've started a different action. We can discuss that now, maybe. Well, I think it's very important that you have the goal to renew the Federal Republic to its own ideals. That means the basic law with a focus on the activities, also the life that um, the basic law says, the putting the human being at its central focus. Maybe that uh, is an introduction to what you're doing now. 
Well, renewal of the Federal Republic uh, on its own ideals has a bit of the same style as when uh, Martin Luther demanded uh, Christianity in the Catholic Church when he nailed his thesis to the church uh, door. And um, we are a step further. We have already written off this republic. We can only make demands uh, to an institution that you take seriously, and that's no longer the case. We want the Constitution to be reintroduced, uh, focusing on human rights and uh, uh, true democratic and uh, rule of law uh, standards uh, being applied again. Those are the ideals, uh, Article 1, uh, physical integrity is inviolable, uh, human dignity is inviolable, and uh, these sorts of things, uh, that these apply. There's no rule of law anymore today. Um, the uh, human rights have been attacked with uh, the social security system, etc., etc. Well, you're doing an activity. Final stop, Karlsruhe, the seat of the, of the federal court. Yes, we made a discovery, a beautiful discovery, actually. That's the way um, um, it started. Can we see image number one, please? It's not coming yet. Can you show it, please? We made an interesting discovery on uh, the federal parliament building. Uh, building. There's a huge uh, glass dome um, where they lasered uh, articles 1 through 19 of the Constitution. Mm, um, those are the uh, fundamental rights. Can we see this image, please, this photo? Otherwise, I'll just talk about it. Are you talking to the beautiful glass walls? Yeah, the glass pillars. Yes, they're beautiful uh, glass walls, three meters high, one uh, meter sixty wide, and um, the uh, nineteen fundamental rights uh, articles one through nineteen are lasered in there. Um, nineteen uh, pillars, and uh, we looked at it. And uh, what's uh, interesting is that Article 20 is missing, and Article 20 is uh, the uh, basis of the structure of the uh, state, and a um, state without the uh, state structure, without the human rights, uh, make a dictatorship, and they are um, inseparable, really. And that was our discovery, and it would have been interesting to see this now. And, uh, well, can we move on to um, picture two, maybe? Maybe we should wait a couple of minutes. It's, it's coming up. Well, I'll, I'll keep talking. And then uh, on the occasion of the uh, 70th anniversary of the Constitution, back in 2019, there was a big um, uh, celebration. We uh, put another... Um, pillar up there uh, with Article 20, and it's made from uh, beach um, with golden lettering. So we uh, celebrated uh, the birth of the Constitution, um, and then the uh, police removed this, 
We'll see the images later. And then we uh, were able to put it up again from the 3rd of the uh, of October to the um, um, 9th of November. Um, and um, that was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And then the police removed it again, and it was uh, ordered to be destroyed. And that is a special thing, because destruction of art in Germany is a special thing to uh, order the uh, destruction of a piece of art that shows um, a uh, an article of the uh, Constitution. Uh, that is really to uh, show the ideal of the uh, Federal Republic on the occasion of the Constitution's anniversary. Can you tell us, please, what we can see? We can only see an, um, a folder here with small images. Can the technicians advise us, please? Well, we'll have to show them, um, uh, run through them again. Uh, well, we'll go back uh, one step. Uh, we can see the glass construction. No, you can't see it on the big image, on the big screen. Pity now. Well, in, in with art, of course, uh, you need to look at it, and if you can't see it now, that's unfortunate. Can the uh, viewers see this at the uh, top right uh, corner of their um, picture of their screen? I can. That's where I can see it. Oh, here we go, and back one image again, please. Right, um, this is where we put it up, and on the left-hand side you can see how this pillar is reflected in the glass walls. So these glass walls have articles 1 through 19 uh, written on them, and uh, we juxtapose uh, article 20 on it, and this is called uh, constitutional, uh, the uh, basic law, 1949, that's when the constitution was written, was promulgated, and where you can see the bush now, that's where we did this. And if you go to image number two, that would be great. Because that's where it's simply missing. We have, you have to know that Articles 1 and 20 are the most important articles in the Constitution. This is a close-up uh, so you can see how well it's made with pure gold. And um, this is one uh, piece. If you, This is individual segments, and if you put them together, it's three meters high. You should take a very nice, big, very good photograph of this. Uh, the federal parliament has a number of artworks, uh, boys and so on, and you see the old uh, writings that were made in the um, um, in the <clears throat> incitements in Russian from the soldiers. These are historical pieces of art that are displayed there. This will be the crowning of it all. If you hang it up. Well, I've already uh, submitted a uh, petition. Well, it's very important. Our understanding of art is art is supposed to show what is. 
And when the police came to um, uh, pick it up for destruction, we uh, said, okay, that's the best thing you can do because that really shows what is. Um, now the police, that this activity by the police is part and parcel of the art now, uh, so you have to know about this. And I um, made a petition to put it up in uh, the in the Parliament building, um, um, supplemented by a dark um, wall, a wooden wall with uh, written in platinum uh, with Article 1 written on it so that politicians have to look at it whenever they go to the plenary um, uh, room. Um, they have to read it every time. So um, they rejected it. So obviously they're not interested at all in um, the constitution, the basic law, in the structure of the state, etc. So the big question is, why did you reject this? Can we go on, please? Picture three, please. Image four, please. Pity. Um, art um, speaks for itself. Okay, can you show it in uh, on the big screen now, please? We can see it on the big screen. Here, you can see how huge it is. That's the important thing. You can see how big it is. The police are there already. And that's the point. And then it was removed. And we had um, requested to put it up from uh, the, the 3rd of the October, um, day of German, um, German reunification to the 9th of, uh, of November. Um, the for, um, um, the fall of the wall, and uh, the 9th and 11th was um, the 30th anniversary of the fall of the wall, and then on the 9th of November we uh, thanked, um, if you um, thank the police, if you go on to the next image, uh, you can see uh, it lit up, all power emanates from the people, and uh, legislation is subject to the constitutional order, all those things that no longer apply now. It says all the things that no longer exist today. Now, the next picture. It's been removed here in the next picture again. Right, maybe starting with picture eight. And then we stood up. We uh, stood up naked and it said, without protection, uh, without uh, um, constitution, here uh, the state removed Article 20, uh, state of uh, law, uh, social uh, state, democracy unnecessary, and it said here without a uh, structure of the state um, um, based on the um, uh, fundamental laws, eight articles, one to nineteen, um, uh, respect and protection of human um, dignity are empty promises. That was back in 2019, 2020. That's exactly what happened. That was that story. And now we can move on yet another picture to the next picture. And here, at this point, where Article 20 was missing. 
on the seventy-second um, anniversary, i.e., this year in the spring of this year. Wait a minute. Last year, in the spring of last year, we opened up uh, the ground, inserting the tombstone of the Constitution. And if we move on to the next slide, this is uh, the tomb. Um, this was. Uh, this is cast in concrete. We did it. Um, um, under supervision of the police without their noticing because it would have been illegal and we put it into the ground and it says the following the Federal Republic of Germany is a, a state uh, subject to uh, the uh, to business and um, uh, to markets uh, all power emanates from lobbyists and is um, exerted with secret agreements uh, behind closed doors and anybody who opposes this order uh, is um, fought with all means and the police removed this when they saw it maybe you can move on one more picture to next picture you can see the full um, version of it Oh, beautiful. So many um, pictures. For this to be completely illegal to install it, it really looked quite well, even though it was under police surveillance. And then the police removed it and were going to destroy it. Then the public prosecutor got involved. And they said, well, uh, hand it over to us. And then the um, judgment was passed that the uh, federal uh, emergency uh, break uh, was voted on so the federal constitutional court uh, after many uh, complaints um, being submitted on the corona measures um, by the way um, they have been um, deemed unconstitutional already by another institution then the Constitutional Court was supposed to rule on the measures, and instead of ask, uh, questioning the plaintiffs as it should, it never um, questioned uh, the plaintiffs or got any expertise from experts. Uh, instead, they um, met with Ms. Merkel uh, to discuss how they could handle it, and then the Constitutional Court um, issued a uh, written uh, statement uh, um, stating that the measures are legal and uh, in this the uh, constitutional court actually violated its uh, job of uh, its task of monitoring um, supervising the government so it actually uh, uh, followed the uh, government policy. We had uh, this in, back in the Third Reich, where the um, People's Court did just that. And we said that was the death of the uh, Constitution, because if there's no governmental control of the government anymore, then uh, no matter what it says in the Constitution, uh, it's dead. And that's why we took it to Karlsruhe, um, this tombstone. We took it to Karlsruhe. We can move on to number 15. And then we had a big event in Karlsruhe 
which is the seat of the Constitutional Court in Germany. And we had an oath, and you can see this uh, plate there and the uh, the courts we um, we considered how could we hand over this plate to the court it was a good question how can we hand it over and we said well we'll uh, invite the uh, judges uh, for dinner like ms merkel did uh, they rejected it and so we held a dinner without the court so we first took an oath here uh, with everything to stand up for the uh, constitution and on the next picture we can see we put the plate on this uh, served dinner table um, basically symbolizing the court uh, the facts have to be uh, put on the table and they they have something to digest and that was the uh, message so we uh, celebrated that big time in um, front of the constitutional court and then by coincidence We um, had a chance, uh, maybe we can move on to the next picture, number 17, where we can see it better. Um, picture 18, we can see it even uh, in a close-up. Picture 19, sorry, because it was really beautiful. That's uh, the Constitutional Court in the background. In uh, picture 20, you can see that at night, at 11 p.m., we actually had the opportunity of handing it over to uh, the Constitutional Court, uh, Steffi and myself uh, are holding the uh, plate. We uh, were able to move into the uh, court and hand it over to Mr. Habert, uh, who is the new head, the new president of the um, Constitutional Court. Sorry, we could uh, hand it over for his care uh, with a stamp and everything. So, in other words, we had taken this plate from Berlin to Karlsruhe by, uh, on foot. It was a beautiful thing. We were well-received everywhere, and we had beautiful encounters with many, many people. And some people allowed us uh, to stay in their homes uh, to spend the night. It was 42 days of uh, walks, and then we handed it over, and all of this was entitled uh, Final Stop Karlsruhe. And uh, now it's final stop cars rule, and now it moves on. And if we go on to the next picture, that's how it moves on. So uh, beginning the 12th, this will continue. We will now go from Karlsruhe to Lake Chiemsee. This is where um, Herreninsel Island is, um, holding some um, castles, and in those castles, the Constitution was written. Um, and that's basically the place of birth of the Constitution. And our motto now is called, now let's um, plant a, a, an ash tree. Um, so we take uh, this bowl where it says Article 1 on one side and Article 20 on the other side. You can see it to an extent. And we'll uh, put some um, soil into um, this um, uh, bowl and we put a seedling, an ash seedling, um, 
um, we could have used an oak tree, um, but the oak tree is um, the tree of the Germans and the ash is uh, the tree of the world. And today all uh, problems are global. That's why we put in the ash as the world's tree. And we take it from Karlsruhe to Kimsey, to Lake Kimsey, and we hope, um, we have to be careful, we would like to bury it in uh, uh, on Heron uh, Insel Island so that we can see uh, the the leaves uh, sticking out of the ground um, it, it can be separated in two uh, divided in two and so we will have these two um, leaves sticking out and in the center the ash can start growing so that the ash becomes a piece of art in itself we want to take it to uh, Han um, Insel Island uh, to symbolize the um, rebirth of the Constitution. So this is a really birth impulse. And if it works, we'd have a beautiful image for a rebirth of the Federal Republic of Germany um, to replace the old one that was buried in Karlsruhe. That's a very, very beautiful symbolic um, piece of art. I think it's a beautiful activity and I think you can walk, we can walk along. Yes, that's possible. It's on our website called unsere-verfassungs.de. You can find all the details there as you see it here. <clears throat> uh, look at the current ongoings and you'll find everything the description and the map you can join us anytime it's very detailed where we walk and we see where we are so that you can join us at any time and we're going to um, be uh, giving many presentations and lectures on the way and um, that's all planned out so all of this uh, will take another month to renew the Federal Republic of Germany. Isn't that a sin that it never uh, achieved, um, uh, reaches 80th anniversary? That's below average. That's really sad. Yes, the thousand-year uh, Reich didn't uh, last as long as it wanted to uh, Thanks either. goodness. Thanks goodness. Yes, it only lasted 12 years, and then the 80 years were quite good. However, um, we want to do something else. But I have to say, we're actually lucky um, that we were able to experience it all. It was a, an incredibly peaceful uh, time, a, a beautiful development, but everything we learned in this period is um, that, um, well, nobody uh, really seems to have um, understood it, that everything that has been planted into our brains is actually wilting and it's not being used at all. That's the sad thing. I, I can't really understand it. There's uh, so much sweat that went into our brains that uh, teachers had, um, sweated out. Well, maybe with the elderly like us. I don't know what's going on with the younger people. Um, I think the binding of the basic law has been lost since 2000. 2005, Hartz 4 was uh, introduced. Um, cancelling the human rights and there's a massive movement going on and this has been um, Danny Carr this great uh, piece of art uh, was done in 2002 the wall of glass and uh, that was just showing 
um, that they wanted to move away from the basic law. Um, they want to go to the EU, and the EU has completely unsuitable conditions. Um, human dignity in uh, the EU is a joke. Um, the uh, Carta says, Article 1 says, the dignity of the person, uh, of the of the human being is untouchable and it has to be protected, but it doesn't seem by Zin. In Germany, it says uh, it has to be protected by the power and the of the state. If it says it uh, has to be protected and not told by whom, then it's void, really. It says in Article 8, the right to develop freely and to be physically unimpaired. And we thought a long time of what was more important, uh, which what's up and what's down. And the end was in the federal, in the basic law, the right of free development of the personality is the important point. In the EU, in the Charta of the EU, there is only the right on physical, um, of no physical harm, and the right of free development of the personality has been cancelled. If you know this, and you can carry this um, out, think out further, the right of life and physical impairedness for the first time was declared in the Roman law, in the slavery. Um, if you lent out your slaves, the person who lent them had to promise that they would have to give them back unimpaired, otherwise they would have had to buy them. So it's a right for slave as it is detected or dis con disconnected from the life, from the right of free development. And the Carter of the basic laws, there is no uh, only a right to mental freemen, but no right to freely develop your personality. That means you can think what you want if you do what I want. That's what it means. So it's all a construct of lies, which is incredible. And that is the destiny of all of us. And that is why all our basic law has been destroyed right from the beginning, from um, 1989 onwards, in order to pave the way for the transition towards EU. In the basic law, there's no description of the uh, applicability anymore. <clears throat> Nobody knows where it is, what's the, what's the building, what's the area. And, and instead, it says uh, the, the areas for the for the countries and now it says all competencies are given to the EU that is what it says in the law no democratic institutions our politicians in mass have uh, passed on their competencies to a non-democratic institution that it goes beyond saying so it is all um, been uh, all put to shambles, it is to be done away with, and that's what's going on. When has this uh, first been, was this first uh, criticized? When did the first analysis come along? Was that a topic when the Carter, Charter was created, or didn't anybody notice at the time? I think nobody noticed it, or they didn't want to notice at the time. Well, um, that was Meyer and Altmaier. Uh, those were the representatives of Germany in this charter process. And um, pity, I would have liked to ask them that. Well, that would be an interesting question for me. It's the first time that I saw this. Um, looking behind the scenes is not 
my point of my cup of tea. It's very difficult. There's a right for mental health, health which is quite uh, critical as well. And there's the OECD standards with Kurulans, uh, and everybody who is against the state are um, are called uh, objectors. And uh, if you are not healthy, you'll get the jab, and that's it. Well, that's what we want to go to, and that's, um, well, how much time do we have? Well, since we're a bit late um, anyway, we now have, unfortunately, very little time, because Jessica Rose, who's next, she only has time until uh, 6 p.m., so if you could... Um, well, quite briefly, to finish off with, we're not just doing this art project. That's only the outside of a very tough inside, which is now to visible on our webpage. Our, our uh, constitution, that's where it's described. And that is a software to vote. And I can show you the questions to vote on. The questions here, I can't read them, is I agree our basic law according to Article 146 um, should be constitutional. The second is I agree the, to the right of um, uh, public votes to be fully anchored in the Constitution. And I do agree that uh, the content of the Constitution has to be uh, subjected to a public vote of the population. And uh, so there's only one yes or no with all three of them. And um, this means that would uh, solve the major problems that the population has no uh, right to contribute. Um, that would do it. Um, how do we look at the EU? How do we, what about the military? What are our situation with the NATO? These are important questions where we ask, do we want this? There's millions of questions where we are simply outside. All of that would be covered by this sovereignty of the content is uh, included so that our politicians can change it with our um, confirmation. And that is the main, era of the uh, basic law which uh, goes back to the americans that is covered and hailed by this uh, vote and then there's this one vote and of course um, there's lots of mistakes in the basic law because the last point is i do agree that the content of the public of the uh, constitution has to be voted on and then we will have a clarifying meeting not a constitutional meeting we do have the um, basic law as the as the pub, uh, constitution then and um, then we'll check it whether all the different articles correspond to articles 1 to 20 that is the um, law of the military whether that still applies and um, the lack of balance of powers that the politics politicians uh, decide on police and legal issues at the same time and the question is here, is that uh, uh, human right? 
is that real uh, court uh, rule of law or is that uh, a conflict of interest? And uh, in that sense, party interest, there is party interest here. It has to be taken out and there has to be a clarifying constitutional meeting in um, the Heron Insel, Heron Island on the Kimgay Lake. And uh, then this constitutional meeting will uh, come up and uh, provide that to the population to vote. I'd like to be involved. Yes, lots of people want to do that. And this is why we do say nobody can get in. The people have to be elected by coincident. A large uh, group will get a moderator and from the outside um, the expertise will come in. That means the expertise has to become moving into the constitution and then it has to be assessed inside. That's the way to do it. And then um, something will happen if this is really done by the people. Uh, by the population, then we will get it warm. Then we'll meet again and we'll talk about the basics once again and all the lobbyists will be left outside because 146, according to which the uh, public, the basic law will be constitutionalized. That means at the day when we have a constitution, the basic law will become void as it is decided by the German people. That means that all the politicians are banned. They have no say in this. Uh, they are the constitutional uh, power uh, which is uh, <coughs> void the minute that the constitution is applied. So they have nothing to say. Uh, what is being decided is the people's on their own behalf. And this is the process that we want to get in and we need to get in. Uh, if you look at this, there's a line which is called the project. That's where it is all described. We have uh, prepared all the legislation for um, uh, approval by the people and it would allow us to get into action immediately because the, without the politicians, because it is decided by the people. That's about the way to proceed. That's something that you have to look at. That's the inside of the outside that we presented. It is the ideal that the people finally take up the basic law. That was the ideal right in the beginning and that it should be constitutionalized. Well, that's an interesting suggestion, Ralph. Uh, I'd say uh, we'll um, keep monitoring how um, the march is going and how things pan out. Well, thank you very much for presenting it here. Um, you can, of course, uh, will um, uh, put a link up um, and then people can look uh, up into more uh, detail. First of all, I'd like to wish you um, a speedy recovery um, and thanks for talking to us despite your problem, health problems. Our minusverfassung.de. Go there and vote. That's what I say. Then our politicians will lose their legitimacy. And the more people vote there, the better it is. That's what we have to say. The people take hold of the basic law. Let's hope that we have time before the nuclear bombs are dropped. Well, thank you very much. Um, I wish you all the best of luck for this. Uh, turning to our next guest, um, it, it, Dr. Jessica Rose, 
She's a biologist, researcher and data analyst. Um, hello, are you with us, Jessica? I am with you. <laughs> Perfect, that's that's great. So, um, you're a, a postdoc in biochemistry from the Technikon uh, Institute of Technology, postdoc in Mo molecular biology, Hebrew University of um, Jerusalem. You hold a PhD in computational biology from the Bar Ilan University and also a master's in, in medicine immunology from the um, Memorial University of Newfoundland and a um, Bachelor of Science, I guess, in Applied Mathematics from also Newfoundland. So that's that's quite an impressive um, CV, I would say. Um, yeah, um, is there anything you would like to add to this uh, introduction? Uh, well, maybe just one thing. Um, probably the reason we're talking today is my, my work uh, during the pandemic. Um, is uh, involving analysis of uh, BEARS data, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System data from the United States. Um, it just seemed, uh, well, you know, it, it was life. It was a culmination of things that happened that synchronized that kind of threw me into this. But based on my background, it seemed like I might have been a really good person to, uh, to uh, maybe do this kind of analysis. <laughs> and shed some light on what's actually going on in the data to the public. Because uh, as you probably know, part of the academic life is writing publications and presenting your data at conferences. So uh, I, I've had some really wonderful principal investigators who, who taught me very well how to present data well so that people can understand no matter what their background. So yeah, I'll add that. And I'm a surfer. Okay, that's, that's very that's great. <laughs> okay, so so what is it you found when you looked at some of the bears data? Well, I mean, <laughs> you take your pick. Um, I, I suppose uh, the best way for me to answer the question is uh, with the third paper that I penned uh, with co-author Peter McCullough on myocarditis. So. And this is also the only adverse event that the CDC and the FDA, who are the owners of the VAERS data, have actually reported on in terms of a safety signal coming out of VAERS, which is ludicrous because there are a countless number of safety signals coming out of VAERS, including death. Mm -hmm. So myocarditis is inflammation of the heart, and I think everybody's familiar with this now. And what the uh, the findings of our paper found or showed was that um, there was a trend in young people uh, reporting, developing and subsequently reporting to VAERS uh, myocarditis incidents, which were diagnosed. And the reporting rate for myocarditis or of myocarditis to VAERS was about sixfold higher following dose two. Mm -hmm. So this is one, one very important thing, and I'm not sure everybody here knows, but our paper was withdrawn and remains in limbo to this day. So the information therein that had been published uh, was removed from the online world. So it made it very difficult for people who might have been interested to know what we found to read this uh, information. So, I mean, take your pick, like I said, you can cluster the, the VAERS um, adverse event types uh, into neurological dysfunctions, reports, 
cardiovascular, hepatological, uh, uh, related to fertility, which is a hot topic now, male and female, uh, diabetes. I, I mean, anything you can think of, there are a statistically significant higher number of reports than have been filed for all the vaccines combined when you look at the last 30 years of data. So that's an important thing for people to know. VAERS is uh, about 30 years old now, and it's, it's, it's a safety signal detection pharmacovigilance tool. So if, if somebody has um, been administered a biological product like a vaccine, then this is a data set, a government data set that you can report any kind of adverse event to. And it's been used for 30 years for all the vaccines combined, uh, including the childhood vaccines. And if you if you plot just the absolute number of reports, um, just basically count the number of reports in VAERS over the last 30 years and compare it to 2021, the, the bar graph looks like this. If, if people aren't uh, able to see, it looks like a skyscraper next to a bunch of bungalows. I mean, we're talking about 1.2 million reports compared to an average of uh, 39,000 over the last 30 years. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there that's not being addressed. So how, how um, and is this, you said that uh, the FDA only reacts to this, this microcarditis? Um, yes, there, there have been two uh, adverse events that I've seen reports written on. There was TTS, this thrombocytopenia thing, but that was kind of, there was a one or two and then it was, I never heard from it again. And the myocarditis was, it, it kind of had to be persistently updated, I think, I don't know, maybe at once every month. Um, but every single time uh, a report was made in the MMWR or what have you, it, the, the outcome, despite what the data showed, was just turned into something minima, minimal. Mild and transient are the uh, the catchwords that they were using, that they were pinning to the myocarditis cases. And any cardi, I'm not a cardiologist, but I know a lot of cardiologists, and none of them would refer to myocarditis as being mild or transient because it creates scar tissue on your myocardium. And it makes the, the beating of the heart. The myocardium is the muscly layer in between the layers of the heart. And it allows your heart to be muscly and stretchy and beady. So if you have scar tissue in this part of the heart, then your heart can't beat properly. So there's nothing mild or transient about this. And especially, especially since this is happening primarily in 15 year old boys. Like if you look at the, the chart that I've generated that shows this dose response, you'll see that most of the reports are actually filed uh, for 15 year old boys. It's, it's a male oriented thing. So yeah. It's uh, it's the yeah, only may, thing that. You mm? yeah, may may I have a question? Uh, you know that in some countries, I know in England, for instance, uh, they don't they count people as non-vaccinated. Uh, when when uh, the last uh, the last uh, jab is uh, not uh, three years, uh, three 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 weeks, uh, yes, or fourteen days, and some even three weeks, and they don't count them as as vaccinated. So. Um, they they don't appear, or do they nevertheless appear in those statistics? Well, it's a great point. Um, 
I, I'm not sure how this applies to VARES, but what you say is absolutely true. Most of the definitions uh, of a an unvaccinated person is just sim simply incorrect. And that's why I think it's really important for people to use the word injected and not injected or uninjected, because once mm -hmm. that needle hits your arm and that, that product is mm -hmm. delivered to your body, you are injected. And so vaccination more refers to, I suppose, the the subsequent uh, manifestation yes. of antibodies. So this is why they've twisted this definition. But it's mm. so dysfunctional when you're talking about plotting numbers of people who have suffered adverse events in these contexts. Yes, because that's right. there's this huge cluster of people that they're including in this group of uh unvaccinated people that are they're yeah. absolutely vaccinated we're not we're measuring anybody yes. here we're measuring uh my cat is uh is jealous yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> we're, we're measuring whether or not someone had an adverse event like uh um myocarditis for example or death yes if you see the when it happens after the injection, it is exactly in the first two weeks when the myocarditis, when the complications with the, with the heart uh, happen. So it's just, there is this time timeline and you see that most of them happen in the first four or five days and still in and after two weeks, it goes a little bit down. So if they are not counted, and uh, I think maybe this is a very big difference in the, in the member in different countries, the way how it is counted. Maybe in one country where you where you have a good system where everything after the injection is registered, you will find them. In other countries where they say no, we don't register this because they they are not vaccinated, as in Germany, for instance. So maybe there is a big difference because of that, because of this definition. I have no you, doubt. How can we find it out? I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if you actually know if any country is doing it properly, because I'm not aware of anyone who is, who's actually counting people as, you know, as, as soon as that material goes into your body, you're injected. And if you have an adverse event and, you know, say the time frame is within, I don't know, 24 hours, and you suspect that the, the injection contents caused you know nobody yeah. would doubt that if you suffered an anaphylactic shock within 15 minutes of an injection <laughs> that the injection caused that yeah, sure. so you know what i mean it's like um I, i'm not sure anybody's reporting this properly i haven't i i don't know of an example so it's it's quite disturbing because it does skew the data and you have to wonder if they're not doing that on purpose it, it is they might not, perhaps, perhaps they might not might be, be in, yes might be interesting to find out who is who is giving the alarm? Who is registering? Is it a doctor or a hospital, or is it the family? So, or is it someone private, or is it the patient himself? Maybe there is a big difference between those data which are given by or delivered by hospitals or doctors, because they very often don't they don't like to tell this because they they gave the shot very often, they are responsible for it very often. So maybe there's a difference and it would be interesting to have some data comparing this. So the 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 fact who is who is showing up with the data, who is coming, who is reporting could be could be a bias uh, which is um, yeah which tells us a lot.
Yeah, absolutely. And on that subject matter, um, a colleague of mine actually wrote a report on this, and about 70% of the reports filed to VAERS are done by medical professionals. But as you pointed out rightly, I mean, the, <laughs> as far as I know, the medical professionals for the most part are being incentivized not to report to VAERS, A, or if they do, you don't really mention causation because there's no way the injections could be causing any adverse event in a patient that they administer the product to. But you, you make a really interesting point, and I can do that pretty easily. I mean, uh, looking at the, the entries by families, uh, yeah, I can look at that. It's uh, It would be interesting. And I'll ask my colleague if maybe he already did because he might have already looked at that. But yeah. And is there, do we know why um, so many like young boys or like young adults get this myocarditis problem? I don't know for sure, but I can only hypothesize it has something to do with androgens. And I haven't gone down that research path yet. Um, but I'm absolutely sure that there are people who have who can answer that better than me. I would say it has something to do with that. There's, there's, I, I was, um, Publishing this hypothesis in in February, I think last year, when I when I heard first of those young people shortly after the injection having problems with the heart, and having myocarditis symptoms, and um, I thought that they have very strong muscles. The young people, sporty people, they have mm -hmm. a very a lot of blood in their in their muscles, and in an injection, intravasal injection, in, injection into some veins or some some vessels, blood vessels may happen much more frequent than in old people, for instance, who have weak muscles. So because they did not aspire, it was it, it was recommended not to aspire. Maybe this is one reason. This is one reason. And um, it would be good. Denmark started in March 2021 to, to tell the, the doctors they have to aspire again. This they did it immediately after that they started giving the advice please aspire and it would be very interesting to compare this too the rate Absolutely. of wow that that's fantastic information i mean yeah i'd love to get my hands on that data uh just in case people don't know what aspiration is it's just withdrawing the needle a little yes. bit once you yes. uh, plunge it in to make sure you haven't hit a blood vessel and yes. apparently this could make a lot of difference in whether or not you suffer adverse events so or the mm. severity which so that would be very interesting but what do you think um do you think that the people who are advised to aspirate actually did after that because the cdc website actually recommends that you don't and a lot of yes. people just blindly follow their advice it, it was the health authority in denmark who advised it to the doctors who told them who published it and i think if something happened and you don't do it as a doctor maybe you're uh, responsible then and right. um, I've in if the doctors are are advised not to do it explicitly not to do it because of the acceptance that the people accept it because it doesn't hurt so much or they had so many stupid reasons which were very new and but they invented it some years ago and they for for children went for all the injections of of uh, of vaccines they said don't aspire and um, I learned completely different things. And I think most of the doctors learned it still. But uh, it was WHO who did it, who said, no, you needn't aspire. It hurts too much. So the acceptance of vaccinations will be will be improved if you yeah. don't do it. 
and uh, but this this is uh, it's it's a bigger risk and it could be very interesting to see to have some some population with with aspired and not aspired and to compare this maybe it's possible in cooperation with the danish health service oh i'd love to do that i mean that 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 would be there's no doubt it would be absolutely uh definitively interesting yes. um, we, we don't have exact data how often you hit the blood vessel but there are there are ratings that say one to five percent with young men more and with old people in the in the ace in the, in the care house for old people because uh, right. it's much more dangerous wow that's fascinating um and if any anybody that's Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't know if you want to add something to that specific topic. Well, I just want that data if anybody has access to it once they talk to the mm. health people. <laughs> That's all. I can analyze. <laughs> That's good, yes. Yeah, maybe we can get in touch with the context that we have in Denmark and then find out yes, if there's, there's some some sort of, yeah. uh, you know, already maybe some data available. Um, you were also, um, you uh, looked at the... Um, epigenetic factors um, of these well injections is that what what is it you found there well i i wrote an article on uh whether or not it was possible that the spike protein that is the uh the, the template or i'm sorry the 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 modified mrna is the template for the the spike protein and the idea was to deliver this uh full-length template uh, via these lipid nanoparticles for mass production to uh, full-length spike protein. So I was looking at whether or not this was potentially uh, inducing epigenetic modifications. So there's a paper, the best way I can answer it is, is by telling people about the paper about the VDJ recombination. Um, just let me pull that up here so that I, I can read the title, because everybody should read this paper. Now, Having said that, it has been retracted by the authors, but I, I've been learning over the past two years that if a paper is retracted in these times, that those are the ones you should read. So the title is, uh, yeah, SARS-CoV-2 spike impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits VDJ recombination in vitro. So this is indication, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what it means, but it's an indication that uh, the effects of the presence of the spike protein in specific contexts in the human uh, impair very essential function to induce cancer, for example. This is one line of thought. Uh, something that you're hearing a lot from, well, I'm hearing a lot from oncologists on the ground is that in their practices, they're seeing a lot of their patients who've been in remission following uh, an injection coming out of remission. Doctors are talking about uh, new and rare cancers developing as well. And of course, in VAERS, there's, it's, it's one of the standalone adverse events. I mean, cancer is not standalone. There are many different types, but the reports are very, very high. And the rare cancers in VAERS being reported are also high. So, what happens, uh, and there's another paper that's come out recently that kind of vindicates this paper on, on the subject matter of why this is happening and why it's so bad. And that's the that the, the spike protein itself translocates to the nucleus of the cells that it gets into. 
Now that's, that's potentially really bad. And what this paper showed is that just because of the presence of the spike protein in the nucleus, that okay. two essential uh, DNA repair enzymes were not being allowed to come back into the nucleus to repair double-stranded DNA breaks. And basically what that means is that you have impairment of uh, such essential things like cell proliferation, like how when cells divide and, and make more of themselves. And if you if you put this in the context of the immune system, the adaptive immune system, for example, this is a disaster. Hmm. So another thing that you're seeing in terms of leaves rustling in the wind besides cancer is you're hearing a lot of people talk about uh, a, a increased susceptibility, first of all, to COVID-19. I mean, the 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 oh, it's frozen. It's uh, we yeah. Am I here? Yeah, but no, we just again, missed yes. a little bit. Ah, okay. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with the bearish thing. Another uh, leaves rustling in the wind uh, piece of evidence besides cancer that's being reported to bears are um, uh, susceptibilities to other infections, for example, and reemergences of uh, latent viral infections, which could also be linked to this. Not sure if it is, but it could be. And the number one adverse event reported to bears right now and that has been being, uh, has held the number one position in bears for weeks is COVID-19. So it appears as though there's a connection between, or an increased susceptibility to this particular disease if you've been injected. And the more times you've been injected, that susceptibility seems to be increasing even more. So this is all, it's hyper complex but the inability to repair double-strand DNA breaks is a really, really, really scary thing. Now, this was an in vitro study, and it was shown in a human liver cell line, and it needs to be reproduced. But as you guys probably are well aware, this paper was retracted, and all of these very frightening evidentiary papers are being hidden from the public, mine included. So I'm wondering uh, if it's even going to be possible to reproduce these uh, results. However, like I mentioned, there's another paper that's been published that confirms that the spike, not only the spike, but the mRNA of the spike clustered with the spike as a, as a helper uh, translocator ends up in the nucleus. And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of frightening things going on on that subject. I think it's very interesting that it is said that um, there is a sequence in in the in the artificial RNA which is very similar to the HIV so some HIV sequences and yes. it should they say it's this uh, HIV sequence which allows HIV to enter the lymphocytes the T lymphocytes GB1 so this would be Yes, this would this would explain a little bit that this mr this RNA artificial RNA is perhaps uh, you know 
makes this thing in, in lymphocytes and for because of this, the, the, the immunity is damaged because lymphocytes are very necessary. And if they are not able to learn anymore, if they are if they're handicapped, then uh, this might be one reason. But I think there is another reason why the lymphocytes don't work well, because there's a signal way, a different signal way with the um, uh, with with the, the alarming the T lymphocytes doesn't function anymore. But this is a uh, Professor Bhakti explains this very often. It's it's too complicated to explain it now for me. But I think there is a second way in in which uh, the lymphocytes are handicapped and, and are yes they they are not able to to fulfill their function to defend us against cancer cells and infections. Yeah, if they can't undergo BGJ recombination, they're dead in the water, basically. Um, yeah, I'm not sure yet uh, if the uh, if, if SARS or the spike can gain entry to CD4 positive T cells. Um, this is something I'm actually looking into right now. It's it's an absolutely fascinating subject because I, I studied HIV for a long time as part of my master's. It's mm -hmm. it's my favorite virus, not to be morbid, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's, uh, you're correct. I, there was another paper, of course, it's also been retracted by the authors themselves that shows the insertion, uh, the, or let's just call it, yeah, it's an insertion of yes. four uh, peptides, which are just small, short uh, mm -hmm. strings of amino acids or uh, nucleotides that, um, that are sequenced similar to four HIV uh, peptides, and and they are linked to some of them are linked to this receptor uh, GP120, which is found on the HIV virus. If you think of the spike proteins on the on the coronavirus, the the HIV spike proteins are they're they're similar. similar. They they have these little things that allow them to infect cells, which yeah. also undergo conformational changes. So, it begs the question. I mean, this this is what begs the question. When I first read that paper, I thought, wow, that's really weird because it's not in SARS-1 and it's not in any other uh, coronaviruses. They, and, no. and four of and them. It's, it's, not... it's no more to be seen in Omicron viruses. Right. Yes. And because so it's it's a, it's a heavy load to carry for just such, such a virus. It's an artificial thing. The virus itself doesn't need to be successful. Right. Yeah. And so, the, but the weird part was when you, when you actually uh, do a structural analysis, when you look at the structure of the spike protein and the actual uh, physical placement of where these peptides would be on the spike trimer, uh, they're all exposed. Like I, I did a little bit of protein biology in my in my last degree, and one of the things you want to look for in terms of binding sites, which is like a place where, where something can bind to something else is an exposed site. Yeah, so sure. all of these translated uh, peptides, they form these, these little tiny, uh, you know, places on the spike protein that were highly, highly, highly exposed. And so what that would mean is that it would be very potentially um, productive and functional as a binding site if it had to be. So that's what was really suspicious to me. And I'm like, I don't know if there's functionality here. Um, a lot of my colleagues say, yeah, there is. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all very strange and, uh, and needs, needs to be investigated. Uh, not, not, the papers don't need to be retracted. This needs to be investigated, like full board, yes. full steam ahead. Uh, so because it, like, 
Mm-hmm. No. You go ahead. Well, no, my, you go ahead. My, my question was, so this is what we see also in the spikes in the injections. Is that right? These binding sites? The spike, this is a very good point to raise because the design was, as, as per what they told us, was that the spike that was going to be translated in order to induce the immune response was mimicked after the spike on the coronavirus itself, the Wuhan strain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if that's true, then that spike protein, that the modified spike protein, which is modified, does encode all of these peptides that we we saw in the sequence that was done uh, and presented in this paper. So the question remains, though, this is the most important thing. What eventually gets translated once it's in the person? Because there's a lot of evidence and a lot of data that shows that we're not getting full length spike when it's being translated, we're getting a lot of, if you if you run um, a certain experimental test called a Western blot, you can see the size of the proteins that are being translated. And we don't see this full length spike. We see all these little bits. So there are so many questions about uh, whether good uh, practices in, in both trial and lab context and um, uh, de- de- development on the site, like the manufacturing practices are actually being done. So if people are being, um, I don't know what the right word would be, uh, lazy, I suppose, in terms of ensuring that the product that gets to your arm is what it should be, if they're being lazy in that context, then we have no guarantee that what's being translated is actually full-length spike. And it's actually probably better if it's not full length spike because then you're not going to get all of these um i mean we're we're not just talking about these hiv peptides we have amylodogenic peptides we have uh molecular mimicry like these sets of things that are alike human uh, uh sites we have uh super antigen site we have all these things that people have found that are really um biologically potentially dangerous for a human and and so yeah it's it's probably better if you're not getting full length spike mm-hmm. and one more thing the vdj recombination paper showed that the imposition of the spike in the nucleus to prevent the dna repair enzymes from from doing their job had to be full length spike so yes. so i think it's very very easy for those people who are using this stuff for to inject it in, in humans they they should be afraid to have too many side effects that everyone recognizes this is the jab so they they if they have the possibility to dose the side effect the, the number of side effects that they can regulate the number of side effects they that may be tolerated or maybe not they can just uh, change the temperature of storing them Right, and and there's no doubt in my so mind that it's, that's it's so easy. Just just if you have a little bit higher temperature, you have more broken RNA, and 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 you have less side effects. So they can really they can really regulate the number of side effects. Yeah, and and it doesn't even have to be nefarious. I mean, how many people it's, have minus seventy freezers? If it's something like a bioweapon, as some people say, this is a very intelligent weapon. You can dose it. You can dose it yep. with the logistics. Yep. 
And, and not only that, there's there's a new uh, talk on the town about the lipid nanoparticle. Like there there's there are people who think that the spike protein is is very much responsible for most of the adverse events. There are people who believe that the lipid nanoparticle is more responsible. I I'm in all fields. I think it's all bad. So the lipid nanoparticle is you probably know this, but I'll just uh, remind the people listening. Um, it's a Pfizer and Moderna use these. It's a composite of four uh, lipids, one of which is PEG, which is polyethylene glycol, and this is supposed to homogeneously uh, cover the the lipid nanoparticle, <laughs> which is the carrier of these modified mRNAs. So, if, um, for example, during manufacturing process of these lipid nanoparticles, if you get some kind of defect where the the ethylene glycol molecules uh, bind to each other in, in some kind of way, temperature, pH, whatever, I don't know what determines that, um, then you might get uh, an unhomogeneous coating of the PEG, which I'm not sure, but it seems to me that if that was injected into you, then you'd do better because the PEG would would um, would disassemble, the lipid nanoparticle would disassemble at the site, and then you would have a local administration of the modified mRNA like they said it was supposed to be. <laughs> so you'd probably have fewer adverse events, but that's that's just an idea for now, but uh, seems worth investigating as well. It's a, it's a giant clinical study. We are just experiencing, oh. you know, <laughs> we are no, it's so important for those people to have the charge number on one, the, 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 the lot number, the registration number of the lots, and on the other hand, to get information about how how it works, because RNA technology is going to be used. They want to use it in, in many many jabs now. They want to do many treatments. Yeah. They want to do all vaccinations with those technologies, and they they just learn from from what they can observe now. And all those people who have who have access to those data, what happens with those people being jabbed, being injected? This is this is pure money for them. This is this is very very. This is we are in a phase two study now. Yeah, yeah. And and the bad part about theirs, just to circle back to that on the subject of uh, vax lots, is that it's it's lamentable how few I will say vax lots are actually entered properly. So it's not just the number of VAX slots that are entered when the VAERS report is being filed, it's whether or not it's it's entered properly. And really more often than not, it's not. So VAERS is severely lacking in, in VAX slot data. And it's, I mean, I, I have a person who actually wrote an algorithm that cleans up the VAX slot data so that we, we can properly do, uh, well, maybe not properly, but better make an assessment of, say, correlations between this vax lot and how many people uh, mm -hmm. suffered a severe adverse event, for example. But like, it would—it's such a shame. It's—it's it's like theirs is imperfect. Absolutely, its worst attribute is that it's underreported. The underreporting factor. But this is another one because imagine for a second if we had 1.2 or 1.3 million reports filed to VAERS of adverse events in the context of just three products primarily, the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Janssen. Imagine if every single one of those, we had the Vaxlot data. We would, we would just be bang, bang, bang. Like we would just see these beautiful patterns like easily in, in what's causing what the, the you know, 
this is this is correlated with an R value of one to this. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's a shame. I uh, it's I wish real world, real world data. Yeah, how they call it how they call it. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how does that? What you just said affect this? Um, do you know the observation in the how bad is your batch um, database? So it, it's it's not a bad uh, guideline, but I. I'm not comfortable personally uh, attributing um, like a higher probability of dying with a particular back slot. I'm absolutely not saying that you can't do that, but I'm not comfortable doing it using VAERS data because I think VAERS data is too sparse. So th that was exactly my point. Like, I think I, I would personally have a lot more confidence in it um, if if there was just better data on, the, on that subject. So. Um, but on the other hand, having said that, that's the data side of me, the instinct side of me absolutely feels like there are particular uh, batches that are more highly associated with severe adverse events. And I think that has a lot to do with um, uh, administration or, or um, uh, development of the product, like maybe that's more about production to me, like um, where it was made what it was designed for do you know what i mean it's like i i wish i knew more about the the production line of these things so yeah that's well, my take on it we had sasha latipova um you know mm -hmm. with with a lot of uh, detailed information also about this like production aspects and i think that was very interesting and um is maybe uh, like of help I, I have a question uh with regards to this um increased susceptibility that you mentioned for the covid 19 um uh, disease or whatever it's um I, I was wondering um do you think it's really that they're most more susceptible for like you know getting sick or is it more that they are and uh, you know and or is it more likely that they're just being tested positive because of the spike production that's going on within them and they have maybe are susceptible to whatever kind of infectious um you know like a cold or like a, a flu or whatever um you know like a virus a respiratory virus um and mm -hmm. and then they test positive because of some other activity that's going on in the body or if not why would they be now especially susceptible for covid-19 Right. So I think it's everything. I don't think it's just COVID. I think that uh, COVID is just part of the uh, the recipe. And you make a really good point. I mean, we're excessively testing for, for COVID. Uh, we're not testing for flu. Uh, we're not testing for herpes. I mean, one of the other adverse events that keeps popping up uh, in VAERS excessively are reactivations of latent herpes uh, infections. And and other like Epstein Barr off the charts, cytomegalovirus is coming back. So all of these um, these latent viruses are making comebacks, and that suggests some kind of compromise mm -hmm. uh, or some kind of dysfunction in some of those mechanisms that keep these things at bay. So I think it's different in just about every single human being, but there are certainly clusters of activity going on. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but I think it has a lot to do, well, A, of course, with what they got, what's being translated, B, if they were aspirated, and C, their immune state, which has to age at the time of administration of the product. So um, 
I think I actually do believe there's an increased susceptibility over overall, which means an immune dysregulation. Uh, I, I've written a couple articles about regulatory T cells, autoimmunity, et cetera, but uh, that, it's a little bit too much to get into now. And I hate to say this, but I have to run to my next call. <laughs> it's it's been a really really good, fascinating conversation, and I'd love to continue, but I can't. <laughs> Well, let's stay in touch. Okay. I'm sure you're going to like, uh, you know, come out with new findings uh, anytime soon because you're so active in so many fields. And we'll try to get a hold on on the data from Denmark in case we fantastic. You know, I would get a really chance. love to have that. And and it's been a real okay. pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, and let's do it again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Very instructive. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you. Much. Bye, guys. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Ja, ich weiß nicht, ob unser nächster Gast schon da ist. Es ist Nico da Vinci, ja. ein investigativer Journalist. Ja, ja, sie ist hier. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Great. Well, thanks for the invite. I contacted you when you um, put out an, uh, uh, an appeal for information concerning the uh, news agencies and I might make a contribution, but I thought there are so many things that have uh, doubled up on uh, things that I found out over the, my own research, in the course of my own research over the last few years, since 2015. But I'd uh, start with the news agencies. Maybe I can start by introducing myself. I'm a, um, a freelance journalist um, in an investigative, um, I'm an investigative journalist, so I like to go um, towards things like a pit bull, and when authorities don't provide answers, then I uh, keep digging. I'll get back to that later on. My materials have been used by ARD FACT and in TAS, so the, the main um, public TV station in Germany, and um, a um, left-wing newspaper. Um, but, uh, but the journalists um, on those media always uh, use my information um, and sign it with their own names. My focus since uh, 2015 has been uh, glyphosate. Um, that is a, a herbicide that is uh, ubiquitous everywhere. And Monsanto, uh, that was a very interesting research work, not quite um, uh, bereft of danger. And um, I contacted a PR agency of Monsanto's in the context of the uh, European Data Protection Act. And then I found very soon that they started monitoring and uh, observing me. And when I got everything um, they had collected on me, I asked who uh, ordered this, and uh, the clear answer was Monsanto, Germany. I also took a different approach to glyphosate, and this is based on my prehistory. There were numerous people uh, on Facebook who tried to um, eat healthily, and there was um, some conspicuousness there, and we looked into, we dug deeper there. And we found that there was a, a TV report with a, a Professor Kruger who said that if glyphosate is in your intestine, you'll be in trouble. And we wanted to test this uh, 
what the story is and this um, a private initiative has become the biggest study on uh, glyphosate in human urine uh, at least in the eu probably worldwide and we found we um, have analyzed more than 6800 uh, samples across europe finding that a 70 more than 70 percent 73 percent of people have this um, uh, herbicide in their bodies, um, raising numerous questions such as where does it come from, how do I get rid of, what does it do to my body, and I looked into that since 2015, that was the uh, trigger, the initial trigger. Um, by the way, my um, experience is if you ask questions, just start a study like that, it's not that difficult, you just have to um, keep at it. Now where the overlap comes into play is uh, basically here um, in a, a documentary uh, by um, a, a Franco-German TV station, Arte, um, called um, the involvement of uh, lobbyists in WHO, and they refer to Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they said that um, um, a lot of uh, Monsanto staff are represented uh, at Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and that's where it gets interesting. Now, let me start with the press agencies, then we'll speak about online commentaries. Uh, Paul Ehrlich Institute is another um, issue, and then the um, some uh, specific EU uh, commissioner. Now, a news agency is an agency that collects news from across the world uh, via correspondence and then passes this on to print TV and online media. There's AFP, for instance, Bloomberg, DPA, um, the German press agency, and Reuters. And in my research at the time on Monsanto, I came across Reuters uh, specifically, and um, that was back in 2017, I believe, and I was really surprised there what I found. Reuters always used to be uh, the gold standard to me. They're headquartered in London with a view to news. So what Reuters wrote was something that you could really rely on with very few exceptions. And I was wondering, like, what happened here? How come it's suddenly different? Reuters was sold in 2007, retained its name, um, but now they're a part of the umbrella organization Thomson Reuters. And Thomson Reuters have a relatively large dependency in the US. Uh, uh, it just happens to be in uh, St. Louis, where Monsanto has its headquarters, and this is the lab that is also being criticized for the Pfizer study there, like of eight kilometers away um, as the bird flies. So this huge news agency that uh, makes this news available belongs to a um, private individual, um, a Canadian, called David Thompson. 
And I was wondering, could that lead to conflict of interest? If somebody owns this um, privately and has an investment there, is there a possibility of any uh, influencing of the world of news that certain things aren't reported on because they are run counter to David Thompson's business interests? And that seems to be the case. And when I um, found that out, uh, it was a uh, was one Kate Kelland from London. Um, she works with Reuters, who penned a um, paper or several papers while a glyphosate was supposed to be. What the, the uh, question of um, the relicensing of uh, glyphosate in the EU um, was. Um, uh, being discussed, and uh, she uh, influenced. And uh, if you read it, um, you were kind of surprised because it didn't reflect the scientific uh, um, knowledge, but it um, sounded more like a PR uh, text by um, or in favor of glyph glyphosate. And there were the uh, cancer processes in the connect, uh, context of glyphosate um, in the US, and um, as um, you have already um, found out is that Monsanto had to um, disclose its uh, papers, otherwise they would have been subject to um, uh, fines, and uh, they were published as under the name of Monsanto Papers. And as was found in the context of uh, court cases, Kate uh, Kellen actually got the article that she published by one Samuel Murphy, who is um, an employee of Monsanto. So there was direct influence um, uh, by a um, group of companies that has a um, direct interest in the uh, continued um, approval of uh, glyphosate, i.e. the manufacturer of um, the product. And when questioned by the court, she uh, said that she, um, of course, redacted this, uh, re-edited it as, uh, as a journalist, but uh, used this as a basis. So there was this uh, influence uh, that was taken by Monsanto. And uh, then there's the opposite uh, example. This is another Reuters uh, journalist, Carrie Gilliam. She's very well um, informed about Monsanto and glyphosate. Glyphosate, she has uh, written books about it already. She worked for Reuters, compiling a beautiful article on Monsanto, which was not published. Instead, she was laid off. And she described it herself and published it um, uh, with The Guardian. And she described step by step how Monsanto tried to destroy her reputation. I saw live when she launched her first book. Before it was actually available, the first reviews were already available, and it was uh, very poor uh, reviews. But I recognized uh, the authors of those reviews because I knew them, and that's the way uh, the, this is done behind the scenes. It didn't help a lot because she's still more active uh, in uh, the context of Monsanto. Uh, she's in a group called U.S. Right to Know, and it's uh, given her a boost. I um, admire that she didn't allow herself to be uh, intimidated because she was called up by a Monsanto staff member. 
And he asked her if she uh, only ate organic food, if her son only eats organic food. And that was a clear threat from Monsanto uh, for her to um, know that they know where her son attends school and she didn't allow herself to be intimidated. She's one of the best uh, investigative journalists in the world. So we have to uh, watch what she does. And whenever she publishes something, she uh, has researched it very well. And I've cooperated with her um, in the past. So she, I know that she has the highest ethical standards, but she's no longer with Reuters. So um, her reports are no longer distributed to German um, media. Then there's another interesting person uh, by the name of Christia Freeland. She's one of the young global leaders who used to work uh, way up uh, at Reuters before um, going into politics. Now she is the uh, Canada's Minister of Economics and was uh, the main responsible um, person behind the freezing of the truckers' um, bank accounts during the trucker strike. Um, she's a kind of a strange person, but um, as um, Mr. Schwab said already, um, the entire cabinet in Canada is undermined, and she's one of those. What she... Uh, uh, did in the context of the World Economics Forum uh, agenda, I can say. Now in Germany, there's DPA, Deutsche Presseagentur, the German press agency. Um, it's interesting to look at who owns this. There are 170 shareholders and NDR, WDR and ZDF, the uh, three public uh, TV stations in Germany, hold the highest share. I became the victim of a DPA fact check in October of 2020. They had nothing of substance to criticize. They only um, uh, provide a context. Uh, that's what happens if they don't, um, uh, if they find nothing else to criticize, they say there's not sufficient context. But uh, to what extent DPA contradicts NDR, WDR, ZDF, or vice versa is something that I would uh, call into question because I would expect there to be some merging, some fusion there, uh, so that there might be a similar problem as we saw it with Thomson Reuters. Mr. Thomson is heavily invested in big uh, agriculture and pesticides and everything. Um, to do with that uh, genetic engineering, etc. So he has an interest, a vested interest in manipulating news. The next point I'd like to talk about is, um, as Monsanto did it at the time, and I don't think it changed much since then, is online comments on articles, for example, or on, on Facebook on certain things. Here, in the Monsanto papers, that means the proceedings documentations, they refer to a group uh, program which is called Let Nothing Go. And uh, 
that was about a thousand people who were hired by the uh, agency doing nothing else than um, doing a script uh, saying if that person says this you say that if that person says that you say the other um, answering Facebook commentaries the difficulty that arises from this is that we as normal social media users can't see who is writing this because they didn't um, register as Monsanto people, but uh, um, housewives who said so. And I always wondered, I never had a Domestos fan club, but all of a sudden uh, there was glyphosate uh, fan clubs. And um, that's the reasons uh, here. And uh, that was an action taken by Monsanto at the time. and. I um, was contacted on Twitter by someone in a discussion, which is this Roy Williams. And first I thought he is um, part of that uh, Let Nothing Go network. I had a close look at it at the time. You see it here in the fourth picture from the left. And he talked to me and he said, what I say is scientifically uh, nonsense, it's not uh, funded and it's not uh, evidence, uh, glyphosate is great. And since I talked, I have two screens. On the second screen, I'd started to research on him, who is this guy speaking to me. And I found him, I won't tell you where, but I did find him. And on the Cornell University. So I thought, well, he's a scientist. You can see him in there with a microscope in the background. Okay, but I carried on doing my research. And then I found out that he is an employed uh, post officer, unemployed post officer, who uh, works for this Alliance for Science, which is a group a kind of think tank which operates worldwide, which does exactly this thing, uh, get into discussions saying this is non-scientific, and that's where he did his share, and they are spread around. You see uh, the different ethnics here where they belong to. And when I went to the website, scrolling it down, which is uh, only on the, available on the Wayback Machine now, <coughs> I really uh, dropped out of my pants. Uh, that was the first time that I got into contact with this topic because in their footnote, they thanked the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for 5.6 million US dollars. Uh, the others got 5,000. Uh, so that was uh, the starting capital. And what I know, what I find notable is uh, I only got round to see this that Lisa Monsanto manager um, <clears throat> used that um, Bill and Melinda Gates fashion to postpone glyphosate and GMO. And that under the cover of the good name of a university, uh, using these specific donations, people who have no direct connection to the Cornell University um, are covered up. So, well, you can see them on the Cornell website or what? This aliens for science dot Cornell 
it's still there, but not with the faces of the people now. Um, I wrote an article about it, and then it uh, was taken down quite quickly. It was changed. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is only one of the partners, a bit cover covered away, not the official way as we see it here. So they pretend like this, or it is a project of Cornell University, and um, really behind it there's no scientific um, um, project, but a PR project by uh, appropriate well, by the. Through my understanding, players. it's a PR thing that's going on, and uh, trying to move these interests forwards under the cover of under the umbrella of a university who probably got extra money from Bill and Melinda Gates, but I didn't look into that. There are numerous uh, examples of consultancy uh, companies that promise this, um, and, and that's what I'm reminded of, uh, that we've discussed this um, in um, biology already. We had uh, seminars on this. The Weinberg Group, for instance, they promise the, uh, the Weinberg Group leverages uh, uh, information. We help companies uh, resolve complex issues surrounding uh, science. We have been committed to helping our clients to address regulatory requirements, improve manufacturing processes, and support products in legal system, the media, and in the court of public opinion. So we sell what you want to sell to the public. We ensure that it goes through. Um, their first case was Agent Orange. Um, well, the same is available. Do we have the same thing in Germany? Germany, Gruner, yeah, uh, subsidiary of them, which I don't know. Uh, I would call them rent and influencer. So you can just uh, rent an influencer who does nothing else all day long than um, getting some parts of the populations and uh, mobilize them for or against a certain idea. And they are successful in this. Um, and we have this in agriculture as well, who share glyphosate, uh, who distributed. I don't know if that's the same way today still, but I know that a number of these people, for whatever reason, are specialized on vaccines. Uh, um, they used to work for Monsanto, and now they've kind of shifted focus. Yeah, it's a big business. They also uh, ensured that Teflon would be well uh, received. That was an issue at the time. So there's a group of critical scientists uh, who call themselves ENSAR. Um, um, I don't know what this acronym stands for. They um, deal with these topics. It comes from agricultural biology. Um, they used to do good work. I hope they're still around. Um, I think it was headquartered in um, Switzerland. Yeah, I'm quite well connected to scientists due to the work, what we've heard in the presentation now that papers are retracted. The same thing happened at the time. Uh, it was even, that's read, can be read up in the Monsanto papers that the uh, one of the bosses um, of the companies was uh, asked 
by Monsanto that to get either a five-digit figure per month for consultation or they just kill him off. And he decided um, to uh, do a critical, uh, do away with some critical glyphosate studies. It seems to be the same thing all along. It's now just uh, getting more elaborate. This is nothing from 2022. Yeah, that's true. Those are companies that are used to doing that kind of work. We have the clinical research organization as well. That's where you can um, order and you can commission uh, clinical studies. The big pharma um, groups don't do that themselves anymore. Uh, mostly, they will simply farm it out. And then there were those um, uh, problems where young men died in the UK because some company tried something out for a big group of companies. And these small clinical research organizations are um, prof, uh, usually uh, small companies that are often attached to universities. Uh, for instance, uh, Charité in uh, Berlin has its own clinical research uh, unit. Uh, I don't know what their legal form is, but it is separate from the clinic. Um, and these private companies that um, um, you can uh, commission uh, to make these studies, uh, they uh, promise on their website, I read one of those uh, ones, we will get your uh, uh, pharmaceutical products um, um, approved uh, so you can sell it. It's a, uh, a promise. It's a completely um, business or, or a complete business orientation. Usually, really, these studies should be performed for the safety of the population. Quite right. Uh, but that goes far back. Uh, you see that in the Monsanto papers quite clearly. Uh, even the first studies that uh, Monsanto needed to authorize glyphosate showed that it triggers cancer, that is cancerous. And then they sent out scientists to try and improve the results. And um, meanwhile, uh, Monsanto uh, employees uh, went to the employee, uh, worked at the FDA. And so you could spend hours talking about that. It's disaster. But um, that came up for the first time in 84 that these studies are um, made under strange circumstances. But we don't have to look so far back. The R&T laboratory is strong in Germany as well. And um, um, the employees say that for 20 years we have been falsifying studies and 20% of the authorizations come from this uh, laboratory. It's not new. It's a continuous pattern that we see again and again. Um, if you want to read this up in the internet, I did that here on my blog. Um, this is the title that we uh, should find it by. The next point is Pauli Ehrlich Institute. I came across them in my uh, research on glyphosate, um, interestingly enough, which led me to uh, an article that I entitled, How Honest is Paul? Um, Ehrlich means honest in German. 
um, and it was found out that uh, there were uh, traces of glyphosate in medication uh, and vaccines. And I had um, uh, researched a lot on uh, glyphosate already, and I thought that's not a good idea if that is in uh, medication. And I contacted Paul Ehrlich um, uh, to inquire whether they know about this, uh, if they've taken any action about it. And the answer was yes. A lot of experts have been thinking about it. We are uh, constantly in negotiations, and uh, don't you worry, it's all right. And I said, okay, I would like to see the discussion on this, um, what um, is what goes on there. And then I got a, a pretty uh, brusque uh, answer. I um, have linked um, this blog, uh, this article to my uh, correspondence with Paul Ehrlich Institute. I'm only summarizing it here. So I asked, uh, made an inquiry under the uh, Freedom of Information Act, and they said that was formally incorrect. And I um, submitted it again, uh, and I said I want all the um, uh, documentation, all the correspondence that Paul Ehrlich Institute had with the manufacturers of uh, um, glyphosate, and. Um, would you believe it? I got one um, PowerPoint presentation um, uh, for this entire discussion that they uh, told me uh, concerning the glyphosate um, traces. So there was no correspondence. They didn't look into it at all. They uh, either told me a blatant lie at the beginning or they didn't um, hand over all the information, um, all the documents under the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, one of the two, um, so I um, uh, included a link to uh, this PowerPoint presentation. It came from the Danish agency with my um, uh, colleagues. I found out who uh, wrote it. Um, um, so um, um, the author is involved with Ema, and her husband um, is also involved uh, in uh, approval issues. Uh, so that's the only uh, conflict of interest. I think that's a huge one. Now, uh, here comes the big one. And so the answer, according to uh, the PowerPoint presentation, is yes, glyphosate is everywhere. We can't do anything about it. Live with it. It's uh, ubiquitous. You can't stop it anymore. It's also in vaccines, but it's not all that bad uh, because there's 500,000 times more of it in milk. What's so um, amazing, because our um, uh, Federal Office of Risk Evaluation um, denies that there is any of it in milk, but Polyethic Institute uh, thinks there is, because that's what they said. And the um, upshot of it all is, at the end of the day, um, a link to a source uh, in this presentation, um, they um, approve that uh, there is no problem because that is that by the Genetic Literacy Project, and that's the proof they quote. Now let's get back to the same document where the uh, internet um, trolls were mentioned. That's just one um, paragraph further down. It says here, Monsanto quietly funnels money to think tanks such as the Genetic Literacy Project. And the American Council on Science and Health are the two think tanks um, that are the spirit of uh, Monsanto's uh, PR activities whenever Monsanto doesn't want to 
uh, go public. It has been bought by Bayer in the meantime, but I found that nothing has changed in their business practices. Nothing has changed at all, unfortunately. I am blocked um, by buyer now. It's very difficult for me to do any research there to see what's being published by them. The reason was that the the head of buyer uh, bee care, they're so deeply involved in the protection of bees with their uh, various uh, products against neonicotides, etc. Um, and he said, well, this is impossible that glyphosate um, damages bees because they have no contact with it. And my um, public question on Twitter on this was that uh, beekeepers have to keep uh, disposing of their honey as uh, special waste because there's too much glyphosate in the honey. Um, do the uh, beekeepers put it in deliberately subsequently or how does it get in there if the bees have no contact with it? And so I was blocked in uh, Monsanto's uh, buyer's uh, Twitter accounts as a uh, commentator. Pity I would have liked to ask more questions. Let's move on to another person. Can I uh, ask a question to the internet trolls? What uh, kind of a volume are we talking about? How many people are active there? And is it always the same trolls that work for the same people, uh, for different people? Or uh, are there any findings on who are the people who do this? Well, as I said, one of these was um, an unemployed post officer. Uh, I think these are people who have issues earning money or for whatever reasons like to work uh, online from home, which is okay. Uh, and just uh, send it to St. Louis, ask their questions, uh, and then the back office is called. If somebody um, is as tough as I am, I have been through this in Germany as well, where the German trolls, if you talk with them, then you get a lobbyist uh, from the back office uh, sometime who really tries to straighten things out then. The same lobbyists also informs the Spiegel magazine with glyphosate information. So it's all uh, very well mixed soup with the same people every now and again. Now, they've become smarter by now. At least uh, we've had the uh, suspicion that these people are working for vaccines as well. So there's a website which is called This Person Does Not Exist and uh, you can just put it in and then you will get um, a, an AI which uh, somebody who looks like a real person but who doesn't exist and whenever you update it you get a new person and a new person and a new person or a new picture and the picture I like most and which has um, the fewest uh, mistakes sometimes uh, the uh, AI makes a mistake and uh, if you like it, you use it as a profile image for your activities. And uh, for example, you pretend to be a doctor who works in an intensive care units, haven't seen all the COVID patients. I think you had this as well on your show once that this is the way they work. So this is um, the organization. It's of course funded 
and where there is a substantial finance, financial interest, uh, you must assume that this is being deployed. The players are the same. The Monsanto people who have uh, cast away their morale long ago and uh, work on the strategy for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I would be very, very surprised if it weren't the case for the vaccine, as it is now also is the case for CRISPR-Cas and the gene manipulation and all these things. So they've got these mosquitoes that have been released now, the modified, um, which were a disaster in Brazil. And, well, it's all covered up. And again and again, it's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation who plays a part in funding these things. Horrible. Shall I carry on? Yes, yes, please go ahead. Okay, so this uh, friendly gentleman here is Vitinus Andrekaitis, and he's from Lithuania, and in the context of the glyphosate reauthorization, he was the responsible EU commissioner for health and food security. So, um, for medical drug safety and food safety, I think that is an extremely important commissariat. If this is about protecting the people, because in both areas there could be serious damage caused. And I had a lot of contact with you, EU parliamentarians at the time, and the, they said uh, internally he's called Dr. Glyphosate because he behaved so strangely with respect to the reauthorization that the parliamentarians stumbled upon him wondering what this is all about. And I thought, well, who is he? Let me have a look at him. And I did the most simple thing that you could imagine. I simply entered his name and corruption. And I get an article, and from that point in time, I, it really kicked me out of my shoes. This guy was the deputy parliament president in Lithuania and lost that job because he tripped on a corruption affair, which is they had an energy price cap and for some i think 10 or 15000 euros he sold his own people by um, changing that act to lift that cap uh, so that means the energy uh, corporates or whoever paid him could make more money because they can simply ask for money because the cap was removed. And there is tape recordings, there's hardware, uh, hard disk recordings, there was video footage, documents, all, anything possible was there. And he uh, withdraw from politics briefly. He wanted to wash his hands, and he didn't need to, because straight away he uh, became the EU Commissioner for Health. 
So, if I look at the current um, commissioner, who has a corruption issue, at least with her husband, uh, that seems to be a job requirement uh, to to get into that. Um, what consequently happened is that the attorney general who went through this was destroyed professionally and financially. Um, he was quoted in an article that he uh, begged pardon so much that he came up with this, but the evidence was there, so it's still the point. So we have a massive problem here. He secretly met with Monsanto lobbyists in the context of the glyphosate authorization and um, he um, worked on an act with uh, plus 10 percent sugar in baby food somewhere at the bottom he had a sentence enter entered that glyphosate that uh, baby food must not be monitored for glyphosate well it's in there and i think it should be monitored that's the way he worked um i promised myself at the time that when he takes any other office and leaves for any coronavirus was uh, any made it to the media so that he paved the way for things to go as they went and of course he has uh, a golden um pension uh, we can assume who, whom the WHO belongs to. If you don't know yet, watch that video. And uh, that will be the end of my presentation. I'd like to come back briefly to our study that we carried out here. Mr. Vorak mentioned earlier that he doesn't want to sell anything. We don't want to sell anything either. I just want to say, if you want to know, if you have that in your body, um, you can have it from us, you can test it, you can get a test kit, and uh, then you will get a result and help um, on how to address it. From my point of view, it's the only opportunity now to um, act against this because our authorities don't do anything and that's why I was uh, um, amused looking at the politicians who are responsible for our health. Lilia Klekla was part of the Young Liberal Leaders. She um, miscarried two studies on glyphosate. Now it's Jim Extermia. He's a Young Global Leader as well as the Agriculture Minister who quite quickly and strangely um, uh, kicked out um, Hofreiter, and I don't expect much. Um, the reauthorization is uh, applied for for another 15 years from the end of this year on, and the EFSA had um, delayed um, studies as well, so there's going to be a provisional re-approval. Um, and I don't think much is up the line there. And the last thing I have is that uh, for different foods, there's different limit values according to the EU. And one um, has the, been set up by the glyphosate task force from Bayer, uh, who applied for that, uh, which was the increase 
of the limit value for food. What's the half-time of glyphosate once it's applied to agricultural surfaces? Well, the better half-time in the body is 7 to 14 days, and in the agricultural areas it's said that it is uh, removed in a little time, but there was a professor from Hornheim. I don't know if he's a professor. I tried to contact him um, at a later point in time when he didn't answer my inquiries. Um, in the context of the renewal of the approval, there was a documentation where a drone tr um, monitored a field which was uh, five years and 11 years um, sprayed. And it's still the 11-year field still had the residues 11 years after spraying with no crops growing. It killed it simply. Uh, they did the same thing as Norway's. Um, they pretended it was a virus, the so-called dwarf grow dwarf dwarf grow virus, which explained that field with no growth of crops on it. And Peter Newman found out from the University of Hohenheim that it is rather hormonal effect on the plants, and uh, that stops the root growth and. Uh, for future generations, everything will be damaged. We are seeing the same thing in citrus fruit For in Florida. They have problems to grow fruit. So, uh, the uh, manufacturer says it uh, gets away, it is removed quite quickly. The scientific evidence proves the opposite. I think it's very important for those who suffered damage in their gardens or on their fields where um, plants won't grow uh, anymore, that they um, get informed about which plants are particularly um, susceptible to it. Um, if uh, a tree dies, for instance, that they uh, people might wonder, what did I make a mistake there? Did I, didn't I water it enough? So there may be a typical um, symptoms in um, agriculture that you can uh, detect and with uh, humans, uh, of course, it's very difficult to prove, um, um, for instance, um, increased cancer growth or whatever. Um, 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 it's very difficult to um, determine the correlation here uh, with exposure, between exposure and um, blood level, uh, um, glyphosate blood levels. It's, you need uh, major studies for that, uh, and you need to correlate it with immunological data. And the biggest uh, problem is the bias. There are other things that happen at the same time that were also applied at the same time that also were introduced into the environment or that uh, can be uh, absorbed as uh, products or maybe um, um, through medication that is prescribed in large quantities. It's very difficult to separate this, and the federal agency uh, for risk assessment should uh, do this sort of thing. But I uh, was invited uh, there to uh, give a uh, presentation there, um, even because even uh, the bosses there had a poor conscience. They wanted someone, um, an external person, uh, 
uh, giving a presentation, but uh, we, we don't have anyone who is free of government pressure. The government uh, thinks in business terms, they think uh, from the perspective of the lobby, they think that the uh, business must um, flourish. Uh, people talk, uh, used to talk about jobs. Um, nowadays, they don't even do that. Uh, they um, are much more direct today. The boss of uh, the BFR um, denounced me for defamation. He wanted to show me off. It didn't work. I answered it. So every time um, you entered his name, that was the answering video that I did because I had concrete criticism. It's uh, available on my YouTube uh, channel as well. Interesting to see. There was pressure on that side, um, which didn't really impress me very much. I even uh, I wanted to go for a proceeding if he had gone for it. Uh, I said that he uh, covers up uh, scientific fraud and I would have had the scientific expertise to show that. Whether I would have won in front of court, I don't know, but um, it would have been up in the media and that's why probably he withdrew from it. Um, looking at uh, the visuals, um, Glyphosate kills everything that has to do with uh, plants, the microbacteria as well in the soil. So you can't, it doesn't produce hum, uh, humus. That's why we need artificial um, fertilizer. It kills the uh, flora in the intestines as well, the bacteria. And uh, the epidemiological data show that we do see them and that we are um, about to publish the first scientific work that is going to look at our data set at least initially and then sh at least we're going to show that this doesn't have any to drink to do with living next to the field uh, to have glyphosate in your body it is um, by the food chain and that affects everyone be you living in a city or in the countryside, be you being a farmer or a politician or whoever else working in a bank or what else. So everybody has got it in the food chain, from the food chain. May I ask which are um, the um, consequences of glyphosate in the body? Uh, what uh, disease can be um, linked to it to give us an idea? Well, the film uh, Poisoned Intestines, I think I drew that, I did that 2016, has a list of health challenges that we thought they would be connected with glyphosate. Uh, I think this list is completely confirmed by now. In brief, um, it hurts the intestines because it's antibiotical. It kills the lactobacillus, the lifidobacteria with problems in creating amino acids, essential amino acids. It is um, zinc and other metals bind to it. So that means our immune systems is compromised by it. And what we also saw from a certain amount onwards, if um, the um, glyphosate is proven to be in the bodies of people, the autoimmune diseases start in nearly 100% of the cases and from a next level, a threshold level, um, we get cancer 
reports. And from what Dr. Vodak just said, um, the uh, proof of cancer is very difficult. Yes, and that's why the glyphosate um, discussion is always focused on, on cancer because it's so difficult to prove it. But there are four uh, court rulings by juries now showing that your cancer came from Monsanto. That made it malicious. And this is why you get so and so many million US dollars of um, compensation claims. So you can't really say that everybody says it is harmless and there is no um, cancer. Three or four juries have taken it and the Supreme Court um, could have, um, uh, it could have gone before the Supreme Court, but they didn't accept it. So it's becoming more um, obvious or clearer that the suspicions that you'd had in the past are actually true. Yes, um, they focused on a, a special um, type of cancer, the uh, Limhofen uh, Lim uh, syndrome, because it's a very um, a special type of cancer, and so it's easier to isolate it. Um, and. Uh, um, it was um, said that there's probably a connection to cancer here, and that is why um, there could be class action on that basis. Wow, madness. Very, very interesting. You see here again that in other areas the same problems are emerging, and this seems to be a parallel as we have seen in the corona issues the injection areas and I think the same mechanisms that uh, should protect the population uh, against these malicious products uh, do not get hold because other mechanisms rule them out. Yes, and it's the same um, plans. Um, uh, even the lobbyists uh, switched from uh, glyphosate to mRNA uh, overnight very quickly, and they always have a host of people uh, behind them uh, that they uh, vaccinated, and this uh, genetic literacy program is uh, one thing, as I said earlier, the American Council of Health and Sciences, one um, uh, thing is a think tank, they are think tanks that do nothing but um, they have a PhD um, physicians and professors where you'd think they wouldn't sell themselves, but and, they do. Well, in earlier works of this Enfthar organization that I talked about, they saw they didn't know that uh, work was done by them. They just give their names. Well, I have an, a, a nice anecdote on this. We have a professor here who is a specialist for everything, for fine dust, uh, for glyphosate, etc., etc. And in the context of the reapproval, he wrote a um, um, clear all uh, for uh, glyphosate, uh, Professor Grime. He has uh, the highest German decoration uh, for his uh, work in science. And at the time, I found that uh, this um, decoration isn't issued uh, very carefully. He said, um, well, um, Monsanto. Uh, paid me for my paper on glyphosate, but it wasn't enough for a Mercedes, for my Mercedes. Um, he said that Monsanto didn't ha uh, pay him. Um, 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 that's true. Um, Canadians paid him on behalf of Monsanto. 
and I lost my um, faith in uh, the um, uh, highest um, German decoration uh, when it was given to my lab. Um, my lab is a um, public uh, TV station organization. Um, it includes Mr. Wissen to go and uh, on the Wikipedia uh, uh, page, it used to say um, uh, it's no longer there. Uh, young and naive uh, was young and naive was uh, also listed there. Um, they're no longer there now. Horrible news. Once again, I have to say, and it's very difficult if on one hand politics is so corrupt and you can buy the media, you can buy science, you can uh, buy the standards who tell us what we can do and what we can't. How are we going to get a restart? How can we do that, that we don't, that we're not victimized anymore by these people who don't care about, uh, don't care a shit, if I may say so, about our health and do with us whatever they want and they feel helpful for them. How can we get this out? I think uh, we need a couple of ideas here. Maybe you have one. That might be a good way of uh, coming to a close here now, yes. I think that we all share a problem and uh, 10, 12 years ago, I wouldn't have uh, taken uh, uh, Bioland uh, not seriously, uh, but now we know it's free of glyphosate, um, um, so I have to buy uh, foods of certain quality if I want to uh, keep glyphosate out of my body, but that was uh, not the way I was. I just uh, got to these topics uh, through uh, in a roundabout way, in a way. Now, what happens to me or others is that we can't do our own research in our daily um, lives and we don't have the know-how that's necessary by now. Google and Wikipedia uh, give you very strange results as well. Um, if I enter the same um, a search term in Google um, and enter the, uh, the same term in Dr. Go, um, uh, it's a different result, so it's very difficult to get objective information. And what I uh, researched uh, on the basis or on uh, glyphosate was a uh, full-time job for five of five years, consistent daily work, and everybody can do that, of course. So we need people who have the courage to look at this, who uh, won't be intimidated by. Um, uh, anything that they find in their letterbox or the a colleague in the US where the son uh, or the num, uh, name of the son and his uh, school were mentioned, but who just um, uh, put their um, head to it and keep going. But they need to be supported economically as well. And we need some protection for these people. Uh, I just say Julian Assange or others who are completely destroyed there. This must be unacceptable if we want to have a new society. That's one of the main factors. And the second is a much easier. Um, uh, that I see must change in the new society. We no longer must uh, accept the um, 
stock cooperation anymore. That must be prohibited uh, because we always have the problem and we could see it with Monsanto as well. There's a few who work at the top and um, skim off the cream and the moment they knew, and you can see it with the Monsanto, Monsanto papers, uh, they were panicking just before by uh, uh, bought out Monsanto. Now um, the entire management board got um, uh, a nice parachute. Uh, only one or two still work at Monsanto. The others retired. Then they passed the, uh, passed on the buck. And in uh, the current processes, they say we're not with Monsanto anymore. We don't have to uh, bear witness anymore. And uh, the staff who work in um, below them don't necessarily notice that and the second example a very current one as long as there are stock corporations it won't be any good to save um, energy because if a stock corporation sells a hundred thousand uh, contracts and gets ten thousand euro for that uh, and we start saving uh, energy um, and they only sell 90,000 contracts anymore, then they earn less money and the shareholders will um, kick up murder and then the price, uh, the energy price has to go up in order to satisfy the shareholders anymore. And that is one of the reasons, um, um, irrespective of the um, liability within a stock corporation where you can't ever put your hands on anyone. That is one of the things that we absolutely need to abolish. The way they um, work today, they must not survive. I think it's not only stock companies. I think any uh, organizations that uh, have limited liabilities where you can't get to the people who take the action. That's one part, yes, but indeed, uh, those people who want to skim off the money, who are in the background, who don't actually work on the company, who only skim off the money and the profits and ever more and more and more, uh, which a CEO such a um, corporation is willing to deliver because he gets a bonus, that is what's at the um, heart of a, a stock corporation, and that's what we need to overcome. I think it's great that you think that far, and I think there's a lot of things that we have in errors in the uh, business system. If I just think of patents for m drugs, um, that uh, even the uh, WHO said it would be much cheaper if uh, we directly give the money for the companies to do the research. Uh, that would be a quarter of the spendings, and we would have those drugs that we want, not the ones that we are supposed to have. There's a lot of things possible, and um, I think the committee has to look into that in more detail, what the future can look like so that this doesn't happen again. Yes, well, I would have material for more, uh, many more hours, so maybe I can come back at some stage. Um, this was only focused on what you asked me about in this conglomerate of PR companies, um, big uh, corporations and uh, news agencies that uh, interact and just um, betray us. Yes, thank you. Very enlightening and well comprehensible. I think um, that is good to go into detail. Uh, enjoying it to a limited degree only, of course, but it's very important to take a close look and uh, it's another inconvenient truth, really. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay, Wolfgang, that takes us to the end of a multi-layer session, if I want to say so. I'd like to thank the audience who 
was with us. I think it's great we have, how, how to say, somebody who uh, came to us, who approached us, um, um, seeing that there's people who are doing research, people we don't know, and do a great job, and things re rejoin. I think it's very great to see this, if any of the audience has ideas, has findings that can help us to uh, build up the whole picture. So please, again, feel invited to come forward. And in that sense, um, I'd like to thank everybody. And um, we had an intensive discussion um, in the early afternoon, and we have to cover uh, some gaps until we get back some money for the um, committee. Um, I'd like to say thank you. We are very grateful for a economic support um, until that problem has been solved so that we don't get into an issue and we'll do everything possible uh, to get back hold of that money, kick it out um, to make sure that we can carry on working and the people who do their good work uh, can be paid. And um, there is um, a six to eight I principle now so that this kind of thing cannot repeat. So thank you very much once again. And um, I wish everybody a wonderful Friday night and a great weekend and see you again next week.